0: 560
1: WQAM. Irregularity
0: can keep you tied up in knots. I haven't crept in a week. Feels like i got a German Shepherd in my colon. But you don't need to be irregular. I say we dynamite it. All you
1: need is Colace. It was a German Shepherd. Take Dr. Recommended
2: Colace for gentle regularity.
3: 901 at 560 WQAM. Happy Thursday to you i tell you, why do we even discuss anything besides
4: uh, Star Trek, huh? What's the point? Star Wars, I'm sorry. Is there any point? I don't know if you can hear us just fine, but we can't hear ourselves. But apparently we're on the air. I hear you just fine. You hear me just fine? We're not getting audio from ourselves or from you. We can he- barely hear you. Everything In the here studio, is just great. But apparently on the air. And now it's all. ...back again like
3: we did before. Something must be messed up in the main controller because I'm hearing everything like in uh, feedback. Well, let's do the whole show like this. You hear that?
4: Okay. I can barely... It sounds like I can't even tell you.
3: So what would you suggest now that I'm hearing myself Uh, back? It's in the master control again. Somebody's dicked with the switch again.
4: Keep talking. Apparently you sound fine. Um, I'm just not going to be able to hear what you're saying. When you say I sound
3: fine, I'm hearing myself back like uh, half a second later real, real loud. So whatever, well somebody is dicked with something there because every we were, you know, the thing that amazes me about this is that we sit around, we talk from seven thirty until just before nine o'clock every morning. Pa pa and then all of a sudden, like about a minute before we go on the air, uh, hello, hello, what? Uh, this uh, ain't going to work, I'll tell you that right now, because you've got something really desperately uh, screwed up down there.
4: I don't know what to tell you. We're running around like crazy people.
3: Well, there's nothing on this, and everything looks as normal like we do it every day. It's just amazing to me how it's always on that end. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Always on that end. Now, is that, is that repeat going on the air? Do we have any idea? Is there anybody in the building at QAM where they're all losing their minds? Is there anybody there? No. Anybody in charge? No. Engineer? No. Program director? No. Anybody that has a clue? No. General manager? I'm sorry. I said anybody with a clue. See, I, I can't keep uh, doing this because I'm hearing myself back real loud in my monitor. And it ain't going to work. So what would you suggest? Would, should we play a little bit of music?
4: Should we yeah, do like a two-step? Maybe, maybe you should play some music or I I can. see. I mean, how is this possible? We were just talking I, like five I, minutes I don't till know. nine. So we know it's not going on in these studios here because, uh, just like you said, it was fine before we went on the air, so something's going on in the control room.
3: Because I hear you just fine, but I hear myself back. So somebody has dicked again In the control room one more time where they just can't keep their hands off the swishes. get, there it is again. I say maybe we just cancel the show. I think that's a real good idea. It's kind of murky here anyway, dripping a little bit, pouring like crazy there. I mean, I can do it like four hours uh, like this, but I'm just, it's going to drive me, they're going to take me away in a uh, straitjacket because I'm hearing everything back like real loud. In fact, I don't even know at this point if I'm on the air or not. Am I on the you're, air? You're on the air. I see. And is that—is that all coming back a second time like I'm hearing it?
4: I'm on the phone at the same time. I see. With George.
3: Join the overnight, guys. Joe and Mark. This is like uh, back to the old WABC days with the reverb. I feel like Cousin Goosey without the bad hairpiece. Join the overnight, guys. Joe and Mark at Gatsby's in Boca tonight, 7 to 9 p.m., and ask them how come this place is such a technical disaster. Stop by for prizes. Register to win a trip to Lake Tahoe. The Bex models will be there with specials on Bex beer. Gatsby's in Boca on Fillsborough Boulevard, 18th Street, between Military and Powerline. And what are we what are we learning? What are we discerning and what are we learning from our crack engineering staff? Definitely there is something amiss in the master control, because we've been through this a million times. Sounds like sabotage to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. See, if I want to repeat something, I just hit it once and like <laughs> see there it is again. You're getting double duty today for the same price. So am I just supposed to continue? uh, I mean, this is ludicrous, is what it really is. Yeah, you're just supposed to continue. Continue what? I I can't continue. I can't possibly do a show hearing myself like twice as loud back a half a second later. No chance. We are working on a solution to that. Well, how, but how can there be a problem? Where the hell did this come from? See, this is the amazing thing. The people who listen to WQAM have told them about it a million times. Usually it's on a Monday. It's usually after the weekend when there have been about 20 children who've had a chance to dick with all the controls in there and play games like a bunch of little children. And then we come in and everything is like uh, patchy with and, un, uh, you know, doesn't work. But now, like, out of nowhere, the show yesterday was fine. We've been rolling right along, singing a song. We talked back and forth this morning, no problems, from like 7.40 until uh, five minutes to nine. And then all of a sudden, when you least expect it, we got some kind of a problem. And it can't possibly be on this end. I'll tell you that right now, boys and girls. It's not on this end. It's there at QAM. Well, they're
4: troubleshooting it as we speak.
3: Well, what does that mean? They're troubleshooting. That, it. What the hell does that mean, George is on the
4: phone in the control room with uh, Robert Greeper, and they're trying to figure yeah. out, uh, you know, one button at a time. What's pressed that shouldn't one be pressed? One button or at a time. Is isn't? that show
3: on our list? One button at a time. Uh-huh. Ought
4: to be. I see. I see.
3: Oh, I think we got it solved. There you go. Really? They did something then. See, the reason I could tell is because uh, when you hit the... <coughs> see, it only did it once. So I could tell ah. it wasn't like... Uh... So what did they do? Was it in there it in master it, it, control like I suspected again? Of
4: course in master control. I'm sitting in here and Miguel's uh, running around. But, yeah, it's in master control.
3: In master control again. Now, you wait know, a second. We've got a real major problem there at WQM. Let me say it again. Some people in that master control room keep dicking with stuff. Just like in the middle of the day, I'll come in here and do a little bit of work in my nice little studio, and I'll notice that the audio from QAM isn't coming in again. I'll have to call the control room down there and say, Hey, whichever you assholes is on here, how come that pot is closed? Uh, duh, like that. And then all of a sudden, here it is, like, like magic when they open the pot again. Too much bad pot at QAM, that's the problem. That was uh, special. That was really something special. So is everything okay now? Are we kosher or what? You tell us. Everything sounds fine here. Sounds fine here. Sounds like me. It sounds like you. I'm not hearing that feedback again. I okay. personally think I'd like to know who the hell was in there. I don't want to make start a big inquisition because we've already had enough of those recently, but I'd like to know who was in there dicking with stuff. And it happened at about uh, five minutes before the hour. Remember
4: you started mumbling to me about you couldn't hear me and uh, all of that? Yeah. That doesn't mean that... Something happened this morning. This could have been done overnight afternoon, and it just we didn't figure it out until now. Until we switched to show mode. I see. Show mode? Show mode.
3: Okay, so anyway, let's uh, where the hell do I start now? I mean, With it's only nine minutes after the hour, almost ready right for the first goddamn break. This is beautiful, and let me say it again: people are going to be a few assholes are going to say, "You see, when you don't do the show from in town, there's there's no reason for it." There's a, this should be like I keep telling you, like rolling off a goddamn log, like falling out of bed in the morning, like falling off a goddamn uh, out of an igloo. But when you got when you got a kind of a place where there's nobody, where it's on automatic pilot. When it's like uh, the Titanic adrift at sea somewhere and, uh, you know, you've got a gigantic leak all over the place. Too many fingers in there. Too many chillin'. That's the problem in QAM. Too many children potchking around, diddling with crap. Too many fingers in the broth. That's the biggest problem. Anyway, yesterday we did our uh, second part. And we're compiling our top 50. That'll be the list today. Don't have to worry about faxing in any more suggestions for it, about uh, calling in, because we're certainly not taking calls. No. Oh, especially after that start. Nine minutes of pure hell, although it was kind of like <laughs> amusing. It had its moments.
4: Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, if you could hear what it sounded like here. <sighs> the goodness sounded worse than what it sounded like here. No, well, I'm sure that's what in, it sounded like. In these like. studios, although everybody kept saying, oh, no, it's fine in the control room, it's fine on the air.
3: No, it was not fine on the air. It it couldn't possibly have been fine on the air because it was feeding back to me a second time. Well, I'm not going to go through it again. Anyway, it's the QAMF and way, boys and girls. That's just the way we do things here on this radio station. Not slow, not fast, just half-assed. The greatest TV show of all time. TV Guide started this thing a few days ago, and then Hank and Mo both picked up on it and milked it for a little bit. But we're going to show you that we can milk it better than anybody. Although we're not really going to do a show about it today. We're just going to, like, uh, stick the 50 on there, our 50, and then we'll pick the top 20 out of those 50. You following what I'm saying? Uh Uh-huh. Good. Here's what came out the top 25 yesterday out of that uh, lengthy list of 50 that we had. And amazingly, many of the shows that were in the TV Guide Top 50, according to their experts and perverts, uh, didn't even come close to making it. Like American Family, which we still have no idea what that is, that had two votes. Donahue, two votes. Playhouse 90, who the hell remembers that? It was a great show, but three votes. Meet the Press, we thought that would get a lot of votes, three votes. Nightline, which they put on there, four votes for Nightline. I mean, are these people crazy or what? Yes. God. So we'll give you the list in a second, then we'll have Eric put it up there, and then you go diddle with it, and uh, you know, and we'll have a little fun with it. And never the twain shall meet. We apologize profusely for our technical ineptitude, don't we? No. No, we don't. You're used to it. 12 minutes after 9 at 560 WQM, here's a simple question for you. If somebody offered to give you, just hand over to you several thousand dollars over the next few years, I am positive you'd take it. It would be a little bit stupid not to take it, which makes it really stupid to pass up a chance to refinance or buy a home at just 3.95%. Here's the deal. There's a Fannie Mae program available at 3.95% for both refinancing and purchasing of homes. Think of it, just 3.95%. And all you have to do is call Financial Group at 1-800-940-5363. That's 1-800-940-5363. To give you an example, you can get yourself 100 grand with payments of only $475 a month, or get you 200 grand with payments of only $950 a month. You'll save yourself a crap load of money. So it'd be downright stupid to pass up a chance like that. Do the math and do the smart thing. Get the details by calling Financial Group. Toll free, no less. Call them at 1-800-940-LEND. That's 1-800-940-5363. They're an equal housing lender. Credit restrictions do apply. And don't forget, rates are subject to... four forty
0: eight.
3: No portion
5: of
4: this program may be reproduced without the express written permission of WQAM, BZ Broadcast Group, Incorporated.
1: Holy cow, Aaron's coming.
0: This month at the Learning Annex, learn how to become a Jedi Knight in two short hours. Please don't deactivate me. Learn how to use a lightsaber. Learn how to fight clones, cyborgs, Darth Vader, and other intergalactic forces. The Learning Annex Jedi Knight Class. Enroll now and may the Force be with you.
3: Well, as we said at the beginning of the show today, may the force be with you, and I think we were. 917 at 560 WQM. George saw Star Wars uh, Part 85 already and said,
4: eh, was pretty good. It was, it was good. Uh, adequate. Better than the first, but that's not saying much.
3: Well, I got 700 re- reviews of it, but I'll pick out the best one that I got here from, uh, what is this from? CNN.com. It's uh, It's okay. It's well worth going to see, okay? Let your kids drag you along and go see it. It'll kill some good time. Also, Isn't one of those real
4: big of long ones, like an epic? Real long, and that doesn't really get going good until the second half, but then it, uh, then it gets good.
3: Yeah, so in other words, bring a book and a flashlight. Bring a Playboy and a flashlight and the kids. The greatest TV show of all time. Okay, here's the 25 survivors from today, and then I'll give you the 25 from yesterday. We'll make sure that we got the same 50. We'll put it on the damn website, and then you can uh, diddle with it, okay? MASH, Monty Python's Flying Circus. Did very well, by the way. Cheers. Twilight Zone, Star Trek The Next Generation, Sesame Street, The X-Files, Friends, Law and Order, ER, West Wing, The Larry Sanders Show, Taxi, The Rockford Files, Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, The Prisoner, Baywatch, Bonanza, Frasier, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The Price is Right, Your Show of Shows, St. Elsewhere, The Oprah Winfrey Show, and The Fugitive, misspelled. That's with uh, two eyes, please, three eyes. Eric, I just mentioned that. There's no A in fugitive. I just passed that along just for what it's worth, Eric. I mean, I realize that you're very picky about your spelling, so get it right. And then the 25 we had from yesterday, From uh, are you keeping up with this? Are we following this or what? Uh, he's already it's being got a little them. bit confusing. All in the family beat the pants out everybody yesterday. Seinfeld, The Simpsons, The Sopranos, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, The Honeymooners, I Love Loosely, and Miami Vice, The Osborne, Saturday Night Live, South Park, Hill Street Blues, 60 Minutes, and Soap. Leave it to Beaver, Benny Hill, Hawaii Five, oh! Barney Miller, Mission Impossible, The Andy Griffith Show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Carol Burnett Show, Kojak, Dick Van Dyke Show, and The Monkees. Those are the 50. God. Those are the 50 for the list, and we'll have those up there, and you can vote it neilrogers.com. We'll pick the top 20, and then we'll uh, Schmidt can the whole thing. It'll kill some good time, though. I think three days, right? Three or four days. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Exactly. So you can dick around with us with all these technical problems. We don't care. We know how to kill time better than anybody in the world on this show. We're killing We're butchering it. So eat your hearts out of TV Guide with your very crappy marginal list. In fact, during the break, I'm going to go uh, log on to their website again and check on and see how their public, although it doesn't really change very much, the one where the public is voting on their website on tvguide.com, because considering the fact that it's like a worldwide thing, there just aren't that many people logging on to there. Of course, you also you can only log on once on their website. I just mentioned that in passing. Okay, let's see. I promote, I don't even know if you can understand the thing with Joe and Mark. I'll do it again later. Join the George Saturday from 2 to 4 at Fort Lauderdale Harley on Federal Highway south of Oakland Park Boulevard for uh, crappy prizes, but free food from Little Caboose, Sopranos, and drinks from Champion Light. I see. So we did manage to, uh, to find a way to stick that all in there, didn't they? Sneaky. Your good sneaky friend, Petey Lenny. Get out of our hair already, Petey. You bugged the crap out of me, okay? With all your free promos, you make me sick. You make me want to puke. You make me want to vomit. And don't ever call her again, please. And speaking of appearances, so George tells me that the um, hot babe at uh, uh, whatever the hell the place is last night. Treasure Island.
4: That Treasure Island was sensational. Elizabeth Hilden, spectacular. We were a gag. Everybody. She
3: she was a gag when she saw Fat Boy. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to let that thing near me? I'm, I'm surprised she didn't bail out.
4: And I certainly hope that Boca Bryan didn't wear that silly wig when he was there yesterday. No, of course not. That was just a cute thing for a while there.
3: Why, why do you say, of course not? He When he brought that in that one day, he was serious. No, he
4: wasn't. It yes, was a larf.
3: He, yes, he was. He wanted to be Joe Pesci Jr., <laughs> a big blonde wig, which sure as hell beat some of the hairpieces I've seen lately. But at any rate... Bush was warned of hijacking plot. Everybody's talking about this now. And, you know, like, uh, you know, the old saying where there's no sense, there's no feeling. Uh In the weeks before the September 11th attacks, President Bush was told by U.S. intelligence that Osama bin Laden's terrorist network might hijack American airplanes, prompting the administration to issue a private warning to federal agencies the White House finally acknowledged last night. But officials said the president and U.S. intelligence didn't know that suicide hijackers were plotting to use planes as missiles as they did against the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Right. There's been longstanding speculation shared with the president about the potential of hijackings in the traditional sense. White House Press Secretary Ari Fleischer said, we had general threats involving Osama bin Laden around the world and including in the United States and all the ships at sea. He said the administration acting on the information received last summer notified the appropriate agencies that hijackings in the traditional sense were possible, the warning was never made public, he said. The development, first reported by CBS News, comes as congressional investigators intensify their study of whether the government failed to adequately respond to warnings of a suicide hijacking before September the 11th. It's the first direct link between Bush and intelligence gathered before September 11th about the attacks. I thought it was just going to say it was the first direct link between Bush and intelligence. Fleischer would not discuss when or how the information was given to Bush, but a senior administration official speaking on condition of anonymity said the president was made aware of the potential for hijackings of U.S. planes during one or more routine intelligence briefings last summer. And keep in mind, now that we know that the FBI and the president and all the ships at sea that they had warnings, even if it was just the traditional sense of hijackings, how come we didn't have, like, uh, air marshals on the planes? Oh, that would have cost money. I see. Just just thinking out loud, I mean, even assuming that we didn't have any idea, even though we knew that there were guys like Musawi who were, like, learning to fly, uh, you know, in a straight line and not land or take, uh, take off, but uh, even assuming that we were too stupid to figure that out, how come it is we didn't have any uh, federal marshals on the airplanes? The CIA would not confirm what it told Bush, but the agency said the issue of bin Laden's attempting an airline hijacking was among a number of terrorist methods raised to U.S. government officials at the time. But there was no information that suggested hijackers would crash planes into American landmarks, and there was no mention of a date, a CIA official said. Well, you know, if the CIA is going to get it right, we have to have a date and a time. Otherwise, forget about it. The information was based on intelligence obtained by the U.S. government, the official said, without specifying. I will tell you, there was, of course, a general awareness of Osama Obama, bin Laden and the threats around the world, including the U.S. And if you'll recall, last summer we publicly alerted and gave a warning about potential threats on the Arabian Peninsula, Fleischer said. Boy, he makes me sick, you know? He just makes me nauseous. But he said Bush had never been told about the potential for suicide hijackers steering the planes toward U.S. targets. Still, acting on the information the government did have, the administration notified the appropriate agencies. I think that's one of the reasons we saw people who committed the 9-11 attacks used box cutters and plastic knives to get around America's system of protecting against hijackers, he said. Well, what, what does that
4: mean? Huh? I don't get it either.
3: First of all, it's it's widely believed the box cutters were already planted under the seats, like the ones they found in Atlanta, that we never hear any more about. So what the hell does that mean? Fleischer said he didn't know what agencies were notified or what they were told. Schlock. Haphazard schlock. Just like it's continuing to go on, right? Isn't that right, Normanetta? Uh You bet. Schlock. Dog and pony show. The AP reported earlier this month that FBI headquarters did not act on a memo last July from its Arizona office warning there were a large number of Arabs seeking pilot security and airport operations training at at least one U.S. flight school and which urged a check of all flight schools to identify possible, more possible Middle Eastern students. A section of that classified memo also makes a passing reference to Osama Muhammad bin Laden speculating that al-Qaeda and other such groups could organize such flight training, officials said. The officials said, however, that the memo offered no evidence. Bin Laden was behind the students that raised the concern. Senator BDI Bob Graham of Florida, the Senate Intelligence Committee chairman, said through a spokesman yesterday that the revelations in the memos marked an important discovery in Congress's investigation into why the FBI, the CIA, and other U.S. agencies failed to learn and prevent the September 11th plot. It represents a failure to connect the dots, said Graham's spokesman Paul Anderson. This was dismissed rather lightly at FBI headquarters. The FBI, that's the chigger in a woodpile. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. They're too busy reading those, uh, all those, those spicy files that Gay Edgar Hoover left behind about everybody's sexual peccadillos. The FBI's also faced tough questioning about whether it failed to act aggressively enough after arresting Zacharias Moussaoui, that Frenchman of Moroccan descent with a big bald head, in August after he raised concerns by seeking flight training at that Minnesota flight school where he just wanted to learn how to fly in a straight line and not take off and land, etc., Musawi has emerged as the lone defendant charged in the aftermath of the attacks, which killed more than well, you know that. FBI Director Robert Mueller repeatedly has said he wished the FBI had acted more aggressively in addressing the Arizona-Minnesota leads, but said nothing the FBI possessed before 9-11 pointed the multiple airliner hijacking plot. The FBI wouldn't know a goddamn hijacker if he walked right in with a goddamn gun at their forehead and said, stick him up, asshole, and let me uh, sit at the controls. They wouldn't, they, would, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get it, and they can't get it. The FBI, to make a long story short, blows. 926 at 560 WQM. Here, I'll tell you something else that blows, and that's running around all over town in the hot, in the heat and, of course, in the rain. What's the point? What's the point of getting soaked and running from one expensive department store to some stupid bedding store when you can just sit right there in your nice, comfortable room unless you've got a leak in the roof? And call dial mattress 1-800-Mattress, like I always do. Every few years, even the best mattress in the world wears out. It gets lumpy and bumpy and crappy. It's not going to last forever. And as a result, your back starts giving you the message, it's time for a great new mattress. So just make that one easy call to 1-800-Mattress and pick out the Serta, the Sealy, the Simmons King Coil mattress that you like and want. They'll have it in stock ready for almost immediate delivery. Because when you call Dial-A-Mattress, you pick the day and the two-hour window for your delivery when it's going to be convenient for you any day of the week, seven days. Some other companies make you sit on your ass all day, and then you'll be lucky if they show up. Not at Diala Mattress. You pick the two-hour window, like 11 to 1, 2 to 4, 3 to 5, etc. And so on. 5 to 7:30. You also get a 30-day in-home comfort guarantee, so you can test your mattress the right way by sleeping on it and doing your thing on it to see if it's exactly the one you want. If not, no problem. They'll they'll swap it for you. Nobody can match the dial everyday low prices either. So instead of getting soaked or spitting your brains out, just make the one easy call. They'll be knocking on the door in no time at all. You'll be sleeping like a child as soon as tonight. Call 1-800-MATTRESS, 1-800-M-A-T-T-R-E-S, or check them out on that Wicked Worldwide.
5: This
0: Friday, live from Baltimore, on Sports Radio
6: 560, QAM. Oh, my God. Life is a bitch
3: in just a second, although Bob who sent that fax yesterday and he, he's right he was uh, you were skeptical about whether the uh, response was correct and and I don't blame him and so was I skeptical right because to make a long story short, this is a listener out there who uh, actually emailed the Broward Chamber of Commerce, which we suggested last what was it the end of last week right And probably he's about the only one who emailed because the rest of the people out there ah, we're not going to waste our time you know we can't be bothered with that because uh, that's just the way the public is now, especially in South Florida. They don't respond to anything unless, of course, it involves some good ethnic hate. But anyway, so he emailed the Broward Chamber of Commerce to express his disgust and dismay over the fact that they not only endorsed and accepted as a member of the Homeless Voice and Sean Canoni, the unctuous one, one of the most disgusting and blatantly obvious cults in the history of mankind, but nevertheless, and then they were, we were doing that fundraiser for him too, two weekends ago. So anyway, he faxes again today and says, believe me, I tell you, it is real And nobody was more shocked than I was. I've asked twice for this lunatic to do as he said and share with me how the homeless voice helps the homeless, but as yet he hasn't responded. Do you think he will? No. Me either. I just wanted to know this is legit. And he again faxes me the thing, the response that he got from the, this is from the Broward Chamber of Commerce. But like I said, uh, they must have somebody on the inside there from homeless voice. Because the fax back says, please allow me to share God's words with you. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and the holy angels with Him, then He'll sit on the throne. Yada yada. It goes through all this religious gobbledygook. Then the righteous will answer Him, saying, "Lord, yada." Uh, these are the very words of Jesus, the Son of God. What have you done for the needy, the poor, or the homeless lately, or in your lifetime? I'd be glad to share with you the facts concerning how the homeless voice is indeed helping the homeless. That's the message they faxed him back. So obviously, that's something provided by, by, the uh,
4: homeless voice people. Right. Like they're forwarding those emails to them or a representative thereof.
3: See, he originally, uh, Bob in Hollywood, originally had sent them this fax to the Broward Chamber of Commerce. I find your association in support of the Homeless Voice organization deplorable. There's, no, there's nothing more, uh, they, this is nothing more than a cult that's unleashed on our streets to bother citizens and disrupt traffic. In my opinion, you're using very bad judgment, aligning yourselves with this man's cause himself which was a very good fax from Bob, but then they responded him with a bunch of religious gobbledygooks. Very, very sad. Broward Chamber of Commerce, Comunista, Comunista, Anticristo, whatever the hell you want to call them, they suck. Of course, don't most Chamber of Commerce's suck? Uh-huh. It's nothing but like a puff piece. You know, anybody who's a member of the Chamber, right away they get the squeal of approval. Anybody who's not, you know, they give them the old bafangula. So we can't put it off any longer. Now, how did you happen to see this... Uh, Attack of the Clones, because uh, there was an
4: advance screening, was it yesterday? Right. Uh, (laughs) I have a friend. Oh. That
3: let me see his copy. I see. So it's another one of these illegal copies that a friend of a friend of a friend. Uh A friend of a Uh friend of a
4: friend. Uh friend friend, uh, Now, when did you see this, like about six months ago? Yesterday. Mm Mm-hmm. Likely story.
3: All right. Anyway, here's a review. I read about 45 different reviews of uh, the movie before I picked out one I liked the best. Anybody believe that? No. Well, I read a few because I sure as hell didn't see it. Where the hell would I see it? I don't have any friends up here that got copies of uh... although I did see uh, Smallville last night. Oh, thank God. I didn't forget about that last night. That was great. That was one of the better episodes. The only bad news, and I did notice I paid attention to uh, Clark's feet last night, and boy, (laughs) does he have big ones or what? And feet, too. Man. 6'3", and size 14 feet, one can only begin to imagine what uh, all the rest of that is all about. But, of course, he couldn't get laid in the whorehouse on that show. That That's that's what makes it so amusing, so hysterical, is he just can't make up his mind between Chloe and, uh, is it Lana, Lara, whatever the hell her name is? Lana. Lana. Now, did you see it? On Tuesday, yeah. I did, I see, there he goes. On. I was watching a hockey game on Tuesday. Okay, you'll have to pardon me. I had more, more important priorities. But it's on since I get a chance to watch it on Wednesday on Global here, then no problem. And I'm sure it was the same episode, right? The one where the uh, guy tried to kill both. And, of course, Clark was there to save them both and dig the crypt out of the ground, et cetera, and so on. That was it. And right at the end of the show, of course, uh, Lex Luthor, who just really getting on my freaking nerves, although at least we didn't see Daddy last night, thank God. That's going to be for next week, which I won't be. I'll be on vacation next week in Amsterdam. won't be able to see the last episode of the season. God damn
4: it. What does that frost my ass? Somebody's going to have to tape that for me. Something about Lex that I didn't notice before until this episode. People that have, like, bulbous what, knobs. What, he's bald? Yeah, well, besides that. But people that have bulbous knobs on the backs of their heads shouldn't be sporting that hair style. I never noticed head. that he had a bulbous knobs. He knob. A bulbous knob. It looks like a big boil on the back of his head, but it's part of his skull. I never noticed that. Well, I didn't either I thought either that Tom Wellington night. might have had a
3: bulbous one, but uh, a I didn't knob know that. It? Yeah, a big knob.
4: But at any rate, now what the, was I just talking about before you started with uh up You were talking about Lex Smallville Luther. and taping it, and you're going to Amsterdam. and
3: uh... No, but about uh, something in the show. Oh, yeah, right before the end of the show, of course, he gets that, uh, his henchman now, his crazy doctor that Lex Luthor's got working for him, he's got that uh, thing in a bag, you know, that right. he found from when the spaceship landed. They're searching for the meteorites, yada, yada, yada. And, of course, nobody's suspicious at all. makes sense to me, the fact that Clark is, like, you know, putting an arm into the ground and, like, all of a sudden pulling that crypt. Nobody asks any questions about, it. like, how did you get me out of
4: here? You know, things like that. Right? Right. No, nobody's ever watching when that happens.
3: In in fact, what's her name? Lana, she's having more uh, visions than uh, charity on passions before she got put on ice and zombie charity replaced her. Oh, by the way, speaking of that, for my passions people today, it's a must-see today. As poor Grace gets a pain in the neck and a pain in the back because the zombie charity is threatening old uh, Tabitha with a voodoo doll of Grace and keeps sticking a pin in her neck and Grace, says, ah, yeah, like that, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> oh. Boy, how the hell am I going to be able to keep my sanity not seeing all these great shows? You know, for a week in Amsterdam, I, I don't know, I might have to cancel. Don't you think? No. That would be a good poll question. What would you rather do, spend a week in Amsterdam? It looks like the weather's going to be beautiful, by the way, temperature like 68 to 75 every day for the next several days. Uh, would you rather like spend a week in Amsterdam, or would you rather stick around and watch Smallville and uh, Passions? Because I'm not going to get either one of those over there. I'm going to have to think about that. Okay, I just decided. 20 till 10. We'll get to the review here. We'll get to all this stuff. We're a little bit behind time today. because. And, by the way, the poll is up. Eric got that up real fast. Nice going, Eric. That's because George faxed it to him about eight hours ago. But seriously, the poll is already up. Our final definitive, this is the one. Whatever show you like, this is on there now because these are the top 50. The greatest TV show of all time. And then, of course, once we get your votes, and tomorrow we'll have for you the top 20 of all time. Based on, of course, oh, not some stupid insipid poll by TV Guide and their pseudo-intellectuals who think, uh, what do they have? Oh, yeah, they had Seinfeld. Well, 20 till 10 at 560 WQAM. Hey, uh, Clark Kent would like to know, how'd you like to have a big one, huh? A big paycheck. Of course, uh, that's what we're talking about, some serious cash. If you do like some, if you wouldn't uh, want to be uh, having some, then FastRain can help you achieve a brand-new career in just four short months. You can actually double the size of yours, your paycheck, by becoming a computer professional before this summer is over. FastRain offers you Microsoft-certified instructors, no payments for a full year, job placement assistance, day and evening classes, and they got four convenient locations all over Dayton, including the brand-new campus in Kendall, so now there's no reason for putting it off anymore. They're close by you. Call Fast Train toll-free at 1-866-FAST-TRAIN or check them out on that wicked World wide Web at FastTrain.com. Don't forget, Fast Train can really and legitimately have you certified and ready for a brand new money-making career in as little as four months. So call them today because nobody should have to settle for a small, puny, embarrassing one. Take it from me. Call Fast Train toll-free, 866-FAST-TRAIN. All Fast Train locations licensed by the State Commission.
0: East this afternoon from Coors Field in Colorado, coverage starts at two thirty on Sports Radio five sixty Q A M.
2: Why are you airing
1: sh** like this? Once upon a time, there was a charming young bachelor. May the force be with you. Searching for the woman of his dreams.
0: Mm, hey baby, a
1: little Jedi loving you need. Hmm? And twenty five women trying to prove they're the one. Yoda, you're so cute. Thank you. But when one man is involved with more than one woman, there's bound to be trouble. You
6: bitch! Yeah. At least I'm the same species! Bite me four eyes! Who
7: will he choose?
6: All of my 12 breaths are real!
7: Find out on... All of them, my want ...The Bachelor. 945 at 560
3: WQM. Everybody and their brother-in-law is going to be talking about this. And George saw it because a friend of his has got an illegal copy. Of Attack of the Clones. Now, let me let me see if you think this is going to be a good review. If I read the first sentence, I think you can pass judgment. It okay. says, now that I've had, this is by Paul Tatara, CNN reviewer. Now that I've had a couple of, they've had a couple of years to process its indignities, most people accept that Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, stunk like a rotting bantha carcass.
4: Oh, absolutely correct, sir.
3: Yeah, so we're moving in the right direction with this review, I think. He says, so it's nice to report that Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, is a considerable improvement, even though it features several laughable courtship scenes and lots of wooden expository dialogue. Until he pulls an entertaining, highly unexpected move near the end of the picture, even Yoda seems vaguely uninterested.
4: So Without far, they're too much... Without, don't interrupt, sorry. Until next time.
3: Without giving too much away, Attack of the Clones is set ten years after the events depicted in The Phantom Menace. A separatist movement consisting of hundreds of planets and corporate alliances is stirring up more trouble than Jedi forces can handle. Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen who looks, and I don't care what you say, he's still, at least in this picture in the paper today, I don't know what he looks like. Do we ever know what anybody looks like until we, like, see him in the flesh? Of course not, because they got lots of makeup on. I looked on the uh, websites here just before the show, since you were telling me about that, and there are like, pictures of him where he looks like uh, like like uh, uh, the beast. Oh, no. Where he looks really oh, nasty. <laughs> and, then, and then there's another one where he looks, uh, like, you know, pretty damn good. And he is 19, by the way. I just mentioned that, so he get all bend out of shape, although he does look about 15. I would definitely check ID with him. So we don't really know what he looks like. But anyway, Anakin Skywalker, Hayden Christensen, who's now an irritable Jedi in training, bristles under the tutelage of Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, Ewan McGregor virtually channeling Alec Guinness, when an attempt is made on the life of Senator Padme Amidala, Natalie Portman, Anakin her away to the safer, more conveniently romantic planet Naboo. Am I getting all these names right? Yeah, you're nailing them. Good. Because needless to say, I haven't got any legal copy of this. And the picture that's in the National Post in the Arts and uh, Life section this morning, and again, you don't know what somebody looks like until you see uh, them in, in the flesh, but all I can say about poor what's-her-name, uh, Natalie Portman, is, because she's standing right behind Hayden Christensen here, she uh, ain't too good. I think she's hot. <laughs> Look, if she's hot, this has to be the worst picture, and you've all seen this picture because this is one of the uh, promotional pictures that they everybody's been showing, You know, where are mm-hmm. uh, Hayden is standing there, kind of like looking off, and she's standing like right behind with her head on his ass, and then this other goofball is like uh, got this startled look on his face. You and McGregor, me and who? Yeah, you and McGregor, you and your mama. Oh, don't bring your mom into this. Oh, hey, gosh. Maybe mama would like to see that, huh?
4: <laughs> no, she maybe wouldn't. Maybe you've got get a it.
3: Spanish language version. Anyway, can I continue it so please? And not real long. For the most part, Lucas cuts between the preordained Anakin Amadela courtship and Obi-Wan trying to determine why a deceased Jedi allegedly placed an order for thousands of combat-ready clones. This leads, as you might expect, to lots of whizzing around in zippy space vehicles, the occasional lightsaber battle, and scores of creatures with variously distended craniums. Kind of like the QM sales department, it sounds like. That's about the gist of it, but Lucas knows that millions of fanatics won't settle for a mere gist, never mind that the first Star Wars picture was designed and marketed as a trifle. Consequently, we're forced to endure endless scenes in which robe-wearing actors, including Samuel Jackson as Jedi Master Mace Windu, solemnly intone the basic conflicts and dilemmas. Dilemas. These interludes don't choke the rhythm as much as they did in the last installment, to be sure, but there's no avoiding their seriously inflated importance. Luckily, a lengthy, digital riffic. Finale all but guarantees that most viewers will exit the theater in a state of adrenalized forgetfulness. Wow. Does that sum that up? That was perfect. That was exactly right. I, it's,
4: I'm not finished. I mean, so far, they've got their finger on it. He's
3: got his thumb on it. Okay. In fact, in this picture, it looks like Hayden's got... And I don't care what anybody says, but in this picture, he's a lot prettier than she is. She is. She looks like one of the Mia sisters to me there. She's beautiful. Natalie Portman. But anyway, maybe it's just a bad picture. Maybe it's like a bad angle. Maybe it's bad lighting. You think so? No. I think she's a beast. Anyway, there are, of course, several technologically dazzling set pieces, including an early one involving car- uh, career, careering airborne traffic, or is that supposed to be careening? I think it's supposed to be careening. Yeah, it's a misprint. Nice go on, CNN. You guys suck. Involving careening airborne traffic that's more of an amusement park ride than an actual scene, but much of the second act is spent on Anakin and Amadella coming to terms with their feelings for one another. Yeah. Unfortunately, given Lucas's proven knack for lousy dialogue, you can't help but snicker at the two lovebirds. Special mention has to go to Anakin's head-scratching segue between complaining about beach sand and marveling at An- Amadella's silky-smooth complexion. For a couple of terrifying seconds, it seems like he might start singing. <laughs> <laughs> Anakin is embodied by Christensen as the kind of needlessly moody kid you might see getting punched out in a Dairy Queen parking lot. <laughs> it's difficult to determine exactly what the more mature Amadella sees in him, except that they have to get it on in time for Luke and Leia to pop up in Episode Four, the original Star Wars. Lucas also displays a distinct loss of nerve when it comes to illustrating Anakin's swing to the dark side. A pivotal slaughter that he perpetrates against a camp full of semi innocents is suggested rather than shown, almost certainly because it's hard to sell action figures depicting guy who butchers people on camera. So it's a mixed bag, but not as dreadfully mixed as the last one. The difficulty in trying to critique the Star Wars films is that millions of viewers are so convinced beforehand of its glorious achievement, they're wanting to hear that it's a religious experience. Attack of the Clones drags in part. Some of it's exciting. It looks like it cost several trillion dollars to make, just like Spider-Man. If you're after anything more than that, it's up to you to find it. That was great. And that's it. Now at the bottom, he points out, he says, There's violence, lots of noise, and assorted ickiness in Attack of the Clones, including some nasty-looking space caterpillars, but it shouldn't trouble anyone. Wisest move, Jar Jar Binks. Is that correct? That's correct who has yet to be strangled, is only around for a couple of minutes. (laughs) Coolest addition: Amadella's Chrome Spaceship. Time to get in line for episode three, it says. So that's a pretty good review by uh, Paul Tatara. That was an excellent review. In CNN? Not too bad. So everybody go out and see it, okay, because they want your money. I'm going to go see it in the theater. I'm not. Maybe I'll go go see it in Amsterdam, you think? Why not?
7: Take somebody. will be playing there.
3: I don't think so. I don't think so. I'll be doing more important stuff like taping music off uh, MTV Parts 1 through 100. That's what I'll be doing. Now, what's all this stuff? Oh, Krispy Kreme. I'm looking at this stuff you just faxed me. Canadian marijuana reform, considered the U.S. <laughs> Too bad. Too freaking bad. Yeah, consider like Like the Canadians are going to pay any attention to what uh, what Georgie's telling them to do about the wicked weed. Hey, blow it out your ass, George. Man, who are these people kidding, huh? They want the whole world to be as repressive and back ass war as, as they are.
0: Oh! Deliciously different marijuana! Deliciously different marijuana!
3: Who would have thought you'd live long enough to see this? Hearings by Canadian parliamentarians into legalizing marijuana. And even more amazing is who's running the hearings. Senators whose average age is tended to those 55 plus. But today in Regina, they kicked off a series of meetings aimed at looking at whether it's time to take smoking pot off the list of crimes in Canada and framing these discussions is a little notice report they've just issued, reaching some startling conclusions. The Senate committee concludes there is no convincing evidence that smoking pot leads to using harder drugs. It says marijuana use does not induce users to commit other crimes or engage in risky activity such as driving quickly. Like, for example, drunks, like that very legal booze. And, of course, if we didn't have booze, we'd have no sporting events. The Senate also found that one in every three Canadian kids aged 15 and 16 has smoked at least once in the last month and that one and a half million Canadians have a criminal record because of what the Senate calls simple possession. Groundbreaking stuff, but this report on Canada's willingness to allow people to use marijuana for medical purposes also seems to have raised the ire of the U.S. in a significant way. We've learned that its drug czar is pressuring Canadian authorities not to loosen Canadian law and he's carrying a very big stick threatening trade sanctions if we don't do what he wants. How do you like that? Wow. On the street, it's called B.C. Bud, and American demand for it is reaching new highs. Sources close to the U.S. DEA say will soon issue a report claiming there are 15 to 20,000 marijuana growing operations in British Columbia alone, and 95% of the output is headed south. Oh! So keep an eye out for it, George. I will. I'm
4: going to go to the border right now.
3: Tell La Colombo to keep an eye out for it. A dramatic increase in the gross quantity of marijuana of high potency coming across the border, says Colonel Robert McGuinness, a U.S. government advisor on drug policy. He says the Bush administration is alarmed by a recent Senate study that says Canada's marijuana laws are ineffective, as opposed to like those in the U.S. The U.S. fears the next step could be looser regulations leading to more drugs crossing the border, and it's ready to play a hardball with trade to make sure it doesn't happen. Oh, my God. To antagonize government leaders and grassroots leaders because you insist on having a radical drug policy that we will not ignore in the long term, then it's going to have to have adverse consequences, and I hope we would be able to uh, rectify it before it comes to blows, explains McGinnis. The U.S. is closely watching the Canadian marijuana debate and is working behind the scenes to influence the outcome. Next month, the president's chief of drug policy attends a drug conference in Quebec, and he'll make sure his counterparts understand that the U.S. opposes liberalization. The whole world has to goose step into line with the U.S. and put everybody in jail for a few, uh, you know, pin joints. As for the Canadian government, Solicitor General Lawrence McCauley did not respond when asked if Canada is being pressured by the U.S. The Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws says the Americans have a habit of throwing their weight around to influence other countries' drug laws. Ottawa was pushing ahead with plans to provide government-grown medical marijuana people with serious illness, but those efforts appear to have stalled, but the American angst over medical marijuana use may be a little bit premature. As of Friday, fewer than 255 Canadians have received licenses to smoke, and of those, 164 can smoke their own because enough government grown isn't available yet. End of story. So there you go, your government hard at work, the United States trying to pressure the Canadians and everybody else in the goddamn world to tighten up those laws through a lot of people in jail because the wicked we, you know what was on on that channel that you jonesing for, the Driving Classics last night, speaking what? of this? Yes. One, one guess.
4: Reefer Madness. Madness.
3: It was on. Bastard. Yeah, great channel. Oh, I can't believe we don't have that in here. We oh, yeah, we got this? that thing in here. Sure. Faster. Faster.
5: Faster.
3: <laughs> That's right. You're going to be pounding on that piano real fast, baby, when you start smoking that wacky weed. Uh, wacky weed. Like a bunch of overgrown children. And just like they said the other day, even the Republicans, even uh, the most harsher of the right-wingers said, hey, you know, these drug ads are running our waste of time. Not getting the job done. 9.56 at 5.60 WQAM. Hey, summertime is coming, even though in spite of the crappy rainy day today, the heat is insufferable. Humidity is unacceptable. But oleomide is one product that will make you feel your best and keep you in good health in spite of any of the conditions in South Florida, the awful allergens in the air and all the other crap. Oleomed's a soft gel capsule that contains pharmaceutical grade olive oil along with vitamins and with minerals and herbals to promote health for your prostate and heart, for your blood pressure and cholesterol. They've got a separate supplement to promote health in your circulatory system. There's one for digestive and endocrine systems, your skin and bones, even one to help your mind, and it certainly couldn't hurt, all using the benefits of pharmaceutical grade olive oil. And don't forget, Oleomed's got a whole line of products for men and for your ladies out there as well. Oleomed's available in stores all over town. You can pick some up today at Walgreens, Whole Food Markets, Navarro Pharmacy, or Sedano's. It's a phenomenal new product that's helped thousands of people in South Florida stay healthy. So if you want to get some or you want to get some information about what they do, just call them toll free. They'll be happy to answer your questions. Call 866 Oleomed, 1 866 Oleomed, or order their products on their website, Oleomed America.
4: To enter value, a prize is $6,000. to dealer for full details.
0: Neil Rogers Show on 560 WQAM, Miami-Fort Lauderdale. Esta es
1: el show de la mañana con Neil Rogers. Esta es su cerebro. ¿Tienes preguntas?
7: Thank you. Thank you. This is a special night for me for a lot of reasons. Janet Reno's here. I just love this guy. Now, some of you might think I've been busy writing my memoirs. I'm not concerned about my memoirs. I'm concerned about my resume. And they tell me I have to use the active voice with a resume. You know, things like commanded U.S. Armed Forces, served three terms as president, everybody embellishes a little, (laughs) designed, built, and painted bridge to 21st century, (laughs) generated, attracted, heightened, and maintained controversy, (laughs) supervised, vice president's invention of the internet. (laughs) But being realistic, I would consider an executive position with another country,
3: at 560. WQM, happy Thursday to you. Greatest TV show of all time. Here's our runoff today. The runoff election with a, with our 50 last choices for the top 20. Simpsons has got 11. Can you believe
4: that? Of course. That's what I voted for.
3: Oh, what am I asking you? Uh, MASH has got nine. All in a family, eight. Monty Python's flying Circus six. Star Trek Next Generation five. Seinfeld five. And the uh, single digits down there. It's only been up a few minutes, but it's up there. It's waiting on you on neilrogers.com. Florida law enforcement authorities have asked Bahamas police for help in a search for missing five-year-old Rilia Wilson, a spokesman for the U.S. Embassy in Nassau, said yesterday. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement is in touch with the Royal Bahamian Police about certain leads, said embassy spokesman Brian Bachman. Bachman said he doesn't know the specifics, but that Bahamian police have been asked to investigate the possibility that Rilya Wilson might be in the Bahamas. According to Bachman, the U.S. Embassy is also calling on newspapers to feature photos of Rulia in the hopes that someone there may have seen the girl whose last documented visit with a caseworker was in January of 2001. Rulia was placed in legal custody of Pamela Graham in 1999 after parental rights were terminated for the girl's parents. (coughs) Geraldine Graham, the sister of Rulia's caretaker, said the girl was taken from them by a person who claimed to be a Florida Department of Children and Family Services caseworker. The DCFS said it has no record of Rulia being removed from the home of Pamela Graham from her care. The FDLE asked Bahamian police to investigate whether Geraldine Graham has any relatives in the Bahamas and look into reports that she tried to pass herself off as the daughter of a Bahamian Prime Minister, Bachman said. This is the bitch that's got like 33 separate identities? Right. In a 1982 arrest form for grand theft, Geraldine Graham used an alias and gave her birthplace as the Bahamas. Geraldine Graham told CNN she was born in Mississippi. Well, they're, they're close. The FDLE is offering a $25,000 reward for information leading to... William's recovery. So the mystery goes on. Nobody's got any freaking idea where the hell she is. If she's dead, alive, in between, nobody knows. This thing that somebody faxed in about Krispy
4: Kreme, this is shocking, isn't it? I thought it was very fascinating.
3: Oh, this is from our same friend who's uh, a busy beaver there with the uh, Broward Chamber of Commerce. Well, at least here's somebody that cares enough to send his very best and get some inane response from the uh, Chamber of Commerce there in Broward, which sucks the Chamber of Commerce blows. I just mentioned that in passing. But if you go into business in Broward County, you probably better join. Otherwise, they'll give you, you know what they'll give you? They'll give you the canary. But anyway, this says, would you pay, did you take a look at this? I I skimmed it. Shocking. million. Krispy Kreme sells more than just donuts. It also sells opportunity. But if you're interested in the path to sugary riches, understand this. It'll cost you. In a few months, the new Krispy Kreme store in West Palm Beach will open, and until then, James Constantino is counting the seconds. Constantino, a native of Buffalo, is part owner of that store, and because he already owns two other Krispy Kreme locations, he's got a pretty good idea of what one can expect come opening day. At 5.30 that morning, he let in a mob of people who have been waiting outside for hours for the warm donuts streaming from his ovens at a rate of 2,640 per hour. The event will probably be covered by a TV news crew, most Krispy Kreme openings are, and in his first week, Constantine will take in almost as much in revenue as the typical Dunkin' Donuts store makes in a year. (coughs) How do you like that? That's a bit of a difference. In the first week, he'll take in almost as much in revenue as the typical Dunkin' Donuts store makes in a year. Maybe that's why the Dunkin' Donuts people stopped driving all the way down from Palm Beach County with those free donuts and with all the other good stuff they used to bring. Maybe it was just like a little bit uh, off the top. They couldn't handle the overhead. Or maybe Defoe pissed him off, which I think is the real story, about something we don't know about. In case you haven't noticed, it says Dunkin' Donuts likely has. North Carolina-based Krispy Kreme has become a full-fledged phenomenon in the food business. Launched in 1937 by Vernon Rudolph, a Southern entrepreneur with a secret French donut recipe and a Pontiac, the company went unnoticed for decades before it expanded nationally in the mid-1990s, in part through franchise locations like the one Constantino uh, owns. It held a public offering in April 2000 and since then its stock is up about 300%. For fiscal 2002, the chain took in $394 million in revenue and its sales for locations open up at least 18 months were up almost 13%, impressive in the fast food or any other retail business. No wonder Constantino is impatient for his Florida store to open. The one there on uh, 163rd Street, the Crispy Cream, right? That's been there for 100 years, as long as I can remember. That's been there. I've been in South Florida for 26 years plus, and that store, I'm positive, has been there all the time. Now, let's see. It says uh, launched in 37, and it went to uh, the national mid-1990s, but that one's been there for a coon's age. In fact, what's right next to it there is some kind of an eggery uh, diner? What the hell do they call that place? The Hammond Eggery? No. Well, that's a different place, I think. I don't know. But, but, but at any rate, it's a very famous diner. That's right next to it. And they've been right there in the corner of 163rd and whatever the hell that uh, street is there for forever. I think that's Northeast 6th Avenue. Whatever the hell it is, like I just said. Of course, uh, Peaches isn't there anymore. No. Wolfie's isn't there anymore. No. White people aren't there anymore. No. But nevertheless, I bet you a lot of white folks stop by at the Krispy Kreme, though, in the daytime. Just like Wayne Arnold's. There's no white people live in that neighborhood, are there? Not a one, no. right? not a chance, but there are a lot of white folks and dark folks and in between, and some who haven't decided yet, kind of like mixed breeds, like George's family. They stop in there at the uh, Wayne Arnold's Excuse me. in the daytime. I said half breeds. Oh, But it, that's what Greg told me to say. I'm sure. But if you think the donuts are popular, you should see the line of people trying to get a piece of the business. It says Krispy Kreme isn't signing on any new franchisees, uh, franchisees right now. It plans to open in the next 18 to 24 months. Yet about five hundred people call or email each week to ask for applications. That's even more surprising when you realize how much the stores cost almost two million dollars on average. Wow. Which is an order of magnitude more than other fast food places. Even McDonald's, the McDaddy of all franchises, cost far less, topping out at about seven hundred and fifty grand per location. And assuming you have two million dollars to open a Krispy Kreme and the required restaurant experience, you still have to campaign like a Senate candidate to get accepted. Constantino has worked in the restaurant industry for 30 years and owns 19 TGI Fridays and six Denny's locations. Even so, it took him two years and three trips to company headquarters before he finally got the nod. Kevin Gordon, an ex-banker who specialized in lending to franchisees, called every business day for six months before winning a contract to open nine stores in his hometown of Houston. Nine stores that are custom like only 18 million. Let me ask you this. If you had 18 million or you could get a hold of 18 million, what would you have to open up
4: a donut shop for? I don't know. I'd be pretty busy, I think.
3: Yeah. In addition to which, you call me crazy. You're crazy. But McDonald's costs about 750 grand per location and it's 2 million for Krispy Kreme. Which would you assume automatically, without looking at anybody's books, which would you assume would be a bigger moneymaker? Naturally, McDonald's. No contest. All of which makes you wonder, says this article. Do these people actually uh, know what they're doing? Can any donut shop, even one this popular, actually be worth $2 million? To find out, we spoke to dozens of franchising experts and went through the numbers ourselves, comparing Krispy Kreme's initial investment and operating expenses with those of similar franchises. The answer? The answer is yes. It really is worth that much, at least for now. All companies are required by the FTC to tell prospective franchisees exactly how their businesses operate, Through a phone book sized document called a Uniform Franchising Offering Circular, UFOC. Oh, can we say that? (laughs) I think you just did. Boy, don't rearrange those letters. In the Krispy Kreme UFOC, some of the requirements aren't too surprising. For example, the company charges a non refundable $40,000 fee that's akin to membership dues. It gives you the rights to a specific location for 15 years. Dunkin' Donuts charges 40 grand, and Tim Hortons, a Canadian donut franchise owned by Wendy's, charges 35 grand. How's he doing? How's Tim Horton doing, by the way? Maybe suit them up for the game tonight. The Krispy Kreme contract also requires that all franchises give the company 4.5% of their total sales as a royalty fee, plus 2% they'll pay for brand development and public relations costs. In the franchise business, such fees are fairly standard. But other aspects of the Krispy Kreme application are more daunting. For example... You need $5 million in net worth to apply, and you also need ownership and operating experience of multi-unit food service operations. So for the get, forget the arch-typical franchisee, the middle manager who took early retirement from Xerox. In addition, the company wants only area developers, mega-franchisees who commit to opening at least 10 stores in a given region. Outback Steakhouse uses a similar agreement. In part, that allows the company to expand more quickly. Its 23 current area developers are contractually bound to open up 250 stores by 2007. But there's another reason. Krispy Kreme is doing so well they don't want to take the chance of giving it to a mom and pop. Says George Nadan, former chairman of Boston Chicken, who now invests in early stage franchise companies. How's that Boston Chicken stock doing? Oh yeah, it's hot. If your application is approved, you can expect to pay about 1.35 million dollars to open a Krispy Kreme, which covers furniture and fixtures, the dough making equipment, and your initial inventory sacks of things like dough conditioner and malted barley flour. That's about five times what the International Franchise Association considers standard for most operations. doesn't even include the real estate. That'll tack on another half a million dollars or so, depending on what building you're in, which brings the total of nearly $2 million per location, making Krispy Kreme the costliest food franchise available anywhere in the universe. How do you like that, huh? Let's open one up. What do you say? All right. Got some money? And eat up the profits. See, that's another thing. They're great. They're delicious. But, boy, you talk about addictive because they're just loaded. I mean, pure sugar. They're just, it's just sugar and dough, wouldn't you say? Mm, sugar
4: and mm, dough. Mm, mm, mm. Wet sugar, oh. that wet, drippy.
3: Yeah. Oh. And you know what I just, What just dawned on me? Can you imagine how good they'd be if you put them in the microwave for about like four seconds? Just to kind of like melt up that gooey and make the uh, sugar coating <laughs> on there like even <laughs> extra gooey. Beast is
4: going to kill us. Both. Oh,
3: sorry. Sorry, Beast. <laughs> He's freaking out. Yeah. Get yourself a box of those uh, Krispy Kremes oh. and put about a half a dozen of them in the microwave for about seven or eight seconds.
4: By the way, we have to have a weigh-in today. We almost forgot about that.
3: Oh, yeah, we're going to have a weigh-in after the
4: break with the Beast. He's not going to be here tomorrow, so he wants to talk about it today.
3: Like I said. 12 minutes after 10 at 560 WQM, if you want a fantastic meal, speak in a photo. I'm sorry, Beast. Armadillo Cafe is just the place. You stay out of there, okay? It's not for people trying to lose weight because the food there is sensational. It is gourmet. It's sensational. But I will say this. They do have things on the menu that aren't fattening. But watch out for the desserts. It's an institution in South For Armadillo Cafe. They started way back on Davie Road Extension years ago, back when I was on Zeta and helped put them on the map. It was in a very inauspicious-looking place. But because the food was so great, because it was so sensational, they grew to one of the most popular and one of the best restaurants in town in no time at all. Now they're in a great new location, Armadillo Cafe. They're at 3400 South University Drive, just between 595 and Griffin Road and Davie, in the Pizza Loft Plaza beyond Pier 1 Imports, Kitty Corner, right where Sadie's Buffet used to be. And, boy, the food at Armadillo Cafe, like I said, is unbelievable. Start out with an appetizer like the tequila grilled shrimp with corn cakes or the Tempura Island Princess conch. Try one of their terrific spinach salads with glazed pecans or the pistachio-crusted mozzarella salad with lemon basil dressing. The entrees are prepared with the best and freshest ingredients that money can buy. Try the pan-seared yellowtail snapper with roasted peppers, or the sea bass with sweet corn and veal glaze. Choose from dozens of other mouthwatering entrees under a big menu. Like I said, they got plenty of stuff that's not fattening, but look out when dessert comes because, man, the creme brulee and the warm chocolate fritters covered in hot fudge will send you into orbit. Your drug sugar will be at least 800, minimum. Call Armadillo Cafe for reservations 954-423-9954. That's 954-423-9954. They've been voted one of the best restaurants in Broward for the past 14 years in a row. Armadillo Cafe is smoke-free. There's lots of free parking as well as complimentary valet parking. Check them out on the web, too, if you like ArmadilloCafe.com. Be sure and tell them that old Neil, who remembers them well, sent you by. They'll take good care of you. You'll eat like a king and queen at the Armadillo Cafe. In From Mark Light Stadium, coverage is underway at
0: 7 on Sports Radio 560, 2 The
1: fans are beginning to blow the... Blow the uh who, the play selection... Did
3: the perfect tan
1: turn you into a Negro? White Fort Lauderdale, Channel 10 News News. Join me tonight for a Channel 10 Under the Covers report on the dangers of achieving a golden tan. Plus, the dangers of breadcrumb buildup in your toaster channel 10 doppler weather with channel 12 meteorologist john matthews this is john matthews coming at you here's the latest on florida's deadly drought another beautiful day of sunshine comes your way <laughs> then join christy krueger for part seven of her special report on the safety of lactation suction devices channel 10
0: news useless news you can't use
3: 1019 at 560 WQM. We got Joe Rose again for the Mad Dog, who's in Ireland. Joe'll be on with a short show today, 1 to 2:30, because we got an afternoon baseball game today, baby. Oh! all right. Pregame show at 2:30. No crow today, thank God. Oh my God. Although we make up for it later on. The pregame show at 2:30. Your Florida baseball team at the Colorado Rockies, where they got whumped last night, but nevertheless they're still in first place. 305. Does anybody care? No. The baseball game, 305. And then guess who's on after the baseball game? I'll give you a hundred guesses. Joe's the guy. Is on after the game. And then the big at 10 o'clock. Wow. Do you think that that's legal, to have those two on back-to-back? Joe and Mark, the Dirty Boys overnight. Speaking of Joe and Mark, don't forget, join them at 7 to 9 o'clock tonight at Gatsby's in Boca. Stop by for our usual very mediocre QM prizes, but you can also register to win a trip to Lake Tahoe. The Bex models will be there with specials on Bex beer. Gatsby's is located in Boca off Hillsborough Boulevard, 18th Street, between Military and Power Line. 7 to 9 tonight with Joe and the Dirty Mark, or Dirty Joe, whatever their names are. Okay, the poll is up. Best TV show of all time. We've spent a lot of time putting this all thing together. We killed a lot of good time. And here it is. Here's the moment of truth. The top 50 shows that uh, survived off, what did we do, 100? We did, eventually. Yeah, we did 100, and we narrowed it down to 25 each down out of the 50. And here's the uh, 50 survivors. Oh, well, it's a good thing we didn't put survivor on there. How can that still be on the air? How can any of those shows still be on? Gets ratings. That one does anyway. The other ones, eh. The greatest TV show of all time, All in the Family, has moved back to on top with 19. Simpsons, 16. MASH, 14. It's redoing again. Like I said, All in the Family, 20. Simpsons, 16. MASH, 15. Seinfeld, 11. Starred Direct, The Next Generation, 7. Monty Python's uh, Python Fly Service, 7. I love loosely, 4. And then after that, it's uh, single digits which I think four single digits do, uh-huh. but nevertheless, I wanted to mention loosely. Lucy, Lucy! Uh, come on, just for all our Cuban friends out there in the radio, and George and uh, Miguel. Lucy, Babalu, he was really something. You know, He was the brains behind that whole operation. That's right. And what other show was I watching just the other day in one of those old corny... Uh, uh, Retro stations. What the hell was it? Uh, it's
4: a, uh, a Desilu uh, production. The, the Untouchables, because you were talking about The Untouchables just the other day. No, but that wasn't the one I was watching. But that was also a Desilu production, Star I Trek. guess, huh? Was it? Star Trek, the original.
3: A Desilu production. That Desi man, he came off like a real, you know, like a a, a
4: moron, like a like a bozo. But he was pretty sure. He invented the rerun. Did he really? Yeah. He was the one that, that had the idea of actually taping it filming it and keeping the tapes and films and uh, replaying them later on. Just like Ozzie Nelson invented the, uh, the video, the TV video. How about that? Did you know that? No, I didn't.
3: See, you're learning things every day. Yesterday you found out that Perry Mason was gay. <laughs> yeah.
4: The I'm actor, sorry, not Raymond the character. Burr,
3: Raymond Burr was gay. Did I say Perry Mason was gay? Yes. That, that was uh, a slip of the tongue. I don't think You're Earl Stanley gay. Gardner would approve of that. Yeah. Uh, well, Raymond Burr was gay, and it was well known. It wasn't. It wasn't one of those that I'm fantasizing about, like I'm always accused of. Oh, you just made that up about Tony Perkins and about Tab Hunter <laughs> and about Raymond Burr. Although it's usually, you'll notice that it's usually after they've been dead for a safe period of time that they come on Biography or one of these channels and oh well, guess what? He happened to have this uh, boyfriend for 38 years, and he made up the stories about his marriages. And who the hell cares? Does anybody care now? No. I wouldn't think so. Now, what about Jack Lord? Is he going to be... Oh, he had. The, he also had a wife, briefly. This story here, this story right here in my hand right now is enough to make me wonder. That story before about the uh, marijuana laws and about how the U.S. is pushing Canada to uh, continue tightening it up, and the laws too, that made me sick. But this story right here is just grotesque. Did you see this? Spitball, may send boy, to prison? no. Keeping in mind, of course, that we have a lot of people for uh, having a, a pin joint in their car or in their possession who are in jail for like 20 years to life or whatever, and, but that hardened criminals get, uh, you know, two years, uh, maybe a year and a half, and a slap on the wrist. People who murder people get let off uh, on some kind of technicality. That's the American ju- system of justice. You can't complain about justice in America because I like have told you for years there ain't any. San Francisco. An errant spitball that put a fellow student in the hospital with an eye injury could land a 13-year-old California boy in juvenile prison for up to eight years on two felony convictions.
4: Two felony convictions? Can you even handle this? Can you stand this? Is this one of those zero-tolerance kind of things again? I feel
3: bad about it, and I'm sorry. Jeffrey Figueroa told the San Francisco Chronicle, which Wednesday reported his run-in with the law, Figueroa has admitted that he shot the spitball, a gum wrapper moistened with saliva, on the first day of school last September at a middle school in the San Francisco suburb of Walnut Creek, California. Jeffrey said he wasn't aiming at anybody in particular, but the spitball hit a 14-year-old boy in the right eye, requiring a trip to the hospital and surgery. Jeffrey and his 14-year-old brother Stephen, who allegedly urged Jeffrey to fire the spitball, Both were charged with battery causing serious bodily injury, assault with a deadly weapon, assault by force likely to produce great bodily injury and mayhem. Mayhem. That's a crime. Last Tuesday, Contra Costa County Superior Court Judge Araceli Ramirez found Jeffrey guilty of battery causing serious bodily injury and mayhem. Both felonies. His brother was found guilty on a lesser charge. The Chronicle said that Jeffrey West had, wait till you hear this. This is the guilty party. The Chronicle said that Jeffrey, who's had two heart surgeries and has attention deficit disorder, now faces a sentence of up to eight years in the California Youth Authority prison when he is sentenced next month. <laughs> I mean, well, what what can you say? What we have is an unfortunate accident with injury to a child, but, when one, uh, but what one time had been a horseplay has now been by the DA district attorney, Elevated to felony status just on the basis of the unfortunate outcome of the accidental acts said attorney Mark Rivas who's representing Stephen Figueroa and obviously doing a great job. The DA's office declined to comment on the Figueroa case yesterday, saying that because it deals with juveniles, the court records have been sealed. But Jeffrey Figueroa's mother, Yvette, told the Chronicle her son's possible prison term came as a shock. Talk about an understatement, huh? All along, we've had a lot of confidence the judicial system would actually prove that Jeffrey and Steve were innocent in this. We're totally in shock. They've been overcharged for something that was a terrible accident. A spitball. You know what I put this on a par with? I put this on a par with the kind of crap that we've been living through the last three and a half weeks at WQAM. I put that in the same category. And the the same kind of reaction, by the way. Unbelievable, unacceptable hysteria. Here's a kid who's had two heart surgeries, who got attention deficit disorder. He just tossed a spitball and happened to catch this kid in the corner of his eye or whatever the hell it was. A, a gum wrapper moistened with saliva. Is there anybody in this audience who's never thrown a spitball? No. I rest my case. Miguel's never shot a spit, wad, spitball? He never shot a wad? I don't believe it. <laughs> squirt, squirt? He's no Peter North, I guarantee you that. Never shot a spitball, huh?
2: No, that's not true. Oh, oh. He, well then, why? Did I was Jordan shaking make my out? head
3: because I didn't know what had happened. I had walked out of the room. Oh, you didn't hear that story? No. Good. Read it again. You know, believe me, it, w- it would it would take your Three-wise. life, it would set your life back several years if you heard that story. It would make you want to get on a goddamn uh, banana boat, get on a rubber raft, and go back to Cuba. Make you want to go anywhere. Never been there. I- I'm telling you. It is the that is uh, typical American justice for you right there. Grotesque, sick, twisted. 10:26 at 560 WQM. The weather's starting to get really hot again in between the raindrops. Summer storms and the possibility of hurricanes soon follows. So get yourself prepared for a major storm, the big blow, and discover what thousands of people have done to protect their homes, called All Weather Systems. All Weather Systems has been doing it right. They've been in business for over 15 years in town, and they're a state-licensed FEMA project impact contractor. All Weather Systems carries the new state-of-the-art shutterless impact-resistant windows and French doors, no unsightly or ugly shutters to ruin the look of your home and the convenience of never having to put up heavy plywood or storm panels, too. All Weather Systems offers 100% unsecured bank financing with no payments for 90 days and payments as low as only 69 bucks a month. Their impact-resistant windows and French doors have insulated glass, which saves you energy, reduces outside noises, and the non-breakable glass helps keep out criminals and burglars and undesirables as well. All Weather Systems also manufactures a full line of accordion style shutters, electric roll ups, and hurricane panels, too. Give All Weather Systems a call today and save yourself the headache of putting up shutters, protect your family from storms and crime, and keep your house looking sensational and energy efficient all at the same time. Call All Weather Systems toll free, 1 800 728 5126. That's 1 800 728 5126. They provide home protection of the highest quality with service reliability and professionalism comparable to none. Call them today and please tell them that Neil Rogers told you to call. All Weather Systems, 1 800 728.
0: What is it? Sports, Sports Radio 560. Ah! QAM. Decriminalized pot in Florida. What if Bill Clinton did indeed get his own
8: TV talk show? Ladies and gentlemen, live from Chappaqua. It's the Bill Clinton Show, with special guests, Yasser Arafat, comedian Karata, and former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. I'm your announcer, Al Gore. Now, please welcome the Prince of Puntang, the Master of Memories, the King of Crotch, the man who knows Victoria's Secret, Bill Clinton. Thank you. Thank you very much. Boy, it was hotter than a chubby intern on in a thong yesterday. <laughs> all right, all right, settle that. My first guest is the leader of the PLO, and his favorite group is ELO. Please welcome a sweet-talking man, Yasser Arafat, everybody, right here. <laughs> So, yes, yeah, sir. Yes, sir. Is there any way we can solve this whole thing? I don't think so, sir. Let's say I send you over a couple of queens of king. What do you mean? I do not understand. Sure you do, buddy. I'm talking about floozies. Hoochies. Zipper monkeys. Well. Loosen your tablecloth and think about it. Meantime, scoot over. My next guest is here. Al. Thanks, Bill. Our next guest is the former political machine. He's got snow on the roof, a fire in the furnace, and a bug up his butt. Please welcome Moot Gingrich. All right, Moot. Welcome there, buddy. How's things by you, Nudie? Eh, well, my uh, new wife's got a cold, so I'm leaving her. Good for you, you soulless bastard. We'll be right back with card Top, Stay with me.
3: 1033 at 560 WQM. So how'd the Beast do on a scale? We got a number?
4: We have a number. 254 as of today. 30 pounds!
5: Oh, 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 oh!
4: Let's hear it for the Beast, and even
3: 30 pounds on Balance for Life, he's doing it. Started at 284. He was on the verge of death, this child.
4: I guarantee you that. He but was only a matter of months away from the big piano box in the sky. It's been exactly two months. It was two months yesterday to the
3: Two day. months, and he's lost 30 pounds. A beautiful thing. 30 pounds, and I bet you can see it, too. You can, or the like thereof. How do you like that? From 284 to 254. Who was giving you crap? Was it on Mo's show the other day? Is he in there? Beast? Yeah. No, not right at the moment. Oh. No, but somebody was giving him crap about oh you'll never go he was talking about his goal is to get under two hundred by whatever date he was talking about. Maybe it was an unrealistic date, but he'll do it. I guarantee you that. At this rate. Because in spite of the fact he went on a cruise for three days and because the, he was also on vacation a couple of weeks ago for several days, and he still came back and was on the straight and narrow path. Even when I was a little black sack because he's been conditioned since he's doing so well. See that's the key to it. If you're doing really well, psychologically you like you know, you keep going. You don't want to see it. Screw gives it gives you the impetus to keep going. Huh? You don't want to screw it up. Right. Other than me, which, you know, I got involved in that phony contest with him in the beginning only to, like, spur him on a little bit. I weigh the same thing now I did two months ago. Almost exactly the same. 196? What is it? No, it was 199 when we
4: started. Oh, that was the last time we weighed you.
3: Yeah. No, I, I weigh a little over 198.
4: Almost exactly the
3: same. Because I don't have my little black sack. I don't have it. And plus all that Nestle's a turtle, which has torn my stomach up and all the other good stuff. Speaking of that, I'm glad he's not in the room because somebody just faxed me this thing about Krispy Kreme. This is amazing, and this should give you a little idea of why it costs so much to get a franchise. Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Oh, I see. This is where the announcement comes from. Krispy Kreme Donuts, Inc. announced today that the Krispy Kreme store located outside of Minneapolis in Maple Grove, Minnesota, has set a new opening week sales record. First week sales for the Maple Grove location were... $480,693. How do you like that? The previous record, $465,003, was set at the company's first international opening in December 2001 in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, right outside of Toronto, right down the road here where Don Cherry lives, eh? Mississauga. Yeah, they made a really big deal. You talk about getting millions of dollars worth of free promotion when they were opening that thing up here. They made a big stimulus about that, about Krispy Kreme. They were standing in line from here all the way to goddamn Alachua, Florida. Can you believe that? First week sales of 480000 Can you imagine how many donuts that is? That's I wonder how, how much does it cost for like a... Uh, because you can buy one. You can go into a store and buy
4: one. Right. I don't how know. much does it cost for one? I don't know. I've only ever bought them by the dozen, and I don't even remember that, how much that is.
3: Well, somebody will, somebody will fax us that information. But I'm telling you, you gotta, you gotta crank out one hell of a lot of goddamn donuts and a lot of sugar to make almost a half a million dollars gross in one week. And that stuff, I don't care what anybody says, I mean, I know different strokes for different folks and some people like Dunkin' Donuts and some people like Tim Hortons because rest in peace, he was a great defenseman and a leaf and all of that. You know, that's fine. But nothing compares to Krispy Kreme. It'll, and it will kill you. I guarantee you that. You eat those, you'll be dead someday. I promise you that. Now, here's a, a fax from our, from Jeff High's uh, chronic uh, boyfriend, which I, I'm, not, I'm not playing a bit for his kids. Don't start requesting me, Dave. Just leave me alone. But it is interesting. Study, butt-slapping decreases moderately in post-game showers. All right. Rectal <laughs> <laughs> <Back to> relief. <laughs> yeah, thank God for that. And this is the first time in history that anybody's even responded to anything I've talked about in this regard. Because, and you want to know why? Because the sports nerds find it too embarrassing. Because it's extraordinarily faggy. It is not a masculine thing. Butt slapping by athletes. A 10-year study released today has found that athletes slap each other's butts less in the post-game shower than they do during games. Oh, I see. This is only in the shower. The study was conducted, conducted jointly by the four major professional leagues. The results showed that while butt slapping decreases in post-game showers, as expected, it does so only moderately. Not an essay. Patting somebody on the butt in a shower—that's a hundred times worse than when they got their uniform on, because they're naked <laughs> I in the shower. No. Yeah. They're not in there with their uniform on in the shower, George. I have no. no, no I, said nice that that I, I know. I know, but I'm just saying. It's just. Hey, I know you I don't want to conjure it up in your mind. It's a. It's a disgusting thing. Imagining Mad Dog, for example, patting Joe Rose on the ass in the, in the locker room. them even though they weren't playing like synonymous at the same time, but just just imagining they were, or maybe Joe Rose patting Danny Boy, his buddy Marino, on the ass. In the shower. Can you conjure that up in your mind? Of course, they deny it. If the average professional player gets his butt slapped by a teammate once a game, says lead researcher Brian Cope, we found that he gets his butt slapped only slightly less, about five out of every eight times by a teammate in the post-game shower. Now, I got news for you, okay, because I've been around a block a few times. I know my fags, Okay. There's only one thing we can say, just like our good close friend Al Goldstein, who we hope gets out pretty soon, once said.
0: That's a gay club, you moron. That's
3: exactly right. And he was talking about uh, professional football at the time, too. That's exactly what he was talking about. But slapping has long existed in sports as a way teammates and coaches show appreciation to one another on the field. A tap on the butt can mean anything from nice tackle or a great pass to something more consoling like, we'll get him next time, or a nice ass. Why the butt slapping continues off the field of play and in the postgame shower is less clear, it says. These guys just seem to really like slapping each other's butts, Cope said. <laughs> Did you say less clear? Less clear. clear. Okay. The rate of slapping from the playing surface, uh, the, from on the playing surface to the shower, decreased the least in the NHL, the study found. They slap each other's behinds less while playing than they do in other leagues. About three out of every four games, a player gets a tap, Cope said. But they receive about the average amount of butt-slapping in the showers, the average Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. Well, hockey players don't want to do that because, first of all, they got enormous pounds and pounds of equipment on, and you can't feel it. You know, somebody taps you on the ass, you can't even feel it. But in the shower, then believe me, Brackham. you can feel it. Another interesting finding on the NHL is that the customary post-goal celebration where the goal-scorer's teammates celebrate in a crowd around the player in the corner does not altogether cease in the shower. It decreases, but it still happens, Cope said. Part of it comes from hockey's long tradition of hazing rookie players, I think he said. In other words, when the rookie scores, they put him in and he's the pivot man on a circle jerk. The study found that coaches don't stop their butt-slapping once the game is over either. Coaches are serial butt-slappers, Cope said. Think about it. In baseball, they give a tap after a home run, a sacrifice fly, a strikeout, anything. It's the same in football and basketball, and it doesn't end in the shower. <laughs> oh, this is great. Cope said a National League manager, all names were withheld from the study in the league's request, obviously, waits outside his team's shower and slaps each player's naked butt as they walk past him on exiting the shower. He tells them, nice job, or better luck next time when he slaps their butts, Cope said. None of the players seems to have a problem with it. Maybe uh, give him a re- return slap to his cheeks. Many gave him a return slap to his cheeks. Can I can I read that one sentence again? Cause you, that, could you, e- you? Even yours truly, I'm in shock. A National League manager, whose name, of course, being withheld for obvious reasons, waits outside his team's shower and slaps each player's naked butt as they walk past him on exiting the shower. Many gave him a return slap to his cheeks. We're not sure which cheeks Rectum. they're talking about. Boy. Shocking. Thank God we got all those macho people listening to the other hours, the other 20 hours a day on QAM. But uh-huh. we don't have all that faggery going on. 19 till 11 at 560 WQAM. You know, one of the things about getting old is losing your hair. When you get like past 20, when you get real old. That's right. That big bald spot starts appearing and in some, some guys, it just uh, all, altogether vanishes all that hair on your head. Charles Alfieri would like to help you do something about it. Something that makes sense. Something that make you look good instead of something that will just fleece a lot of money out of your pocket, like those silly holes in the head or those mousy-looking pieces. Charles alfieri has got the latest technology that provides you sensational results for guys who want a lot more hair or even a little more hair and the most amazing-looking natural hairline. That's the key. It looks just like your hair, like it's grown out of your scalp, instead of like some horrible animal from outer space dyed on your forehead. Charlie's been helping the famous and not-so-famous look their best for over 25 years. He can do the same for you while restoring your lost confidence in your business and personal life. Maybe you can get laid like once a year. So wait no longer. Call today. There's no obligation. And don't forget, mention my name and Charlie knocks $200 off the regular price of his natural hairline system. Call today, toll free, 1-800-321-2413 or log on to CharlesAlfieri.com on their website. Don't forget, you can get your hair back and look sensational from Charles Alfieri. one 800
5: 321 The Mad
0: Sports Radio 560 QAM. This is the most disgusting program. I urge everyone to complain to this station. Nothing tastes quite like mom's pie. Mmm. Careful, pal. You'll need both hands to eat mom's pie. That's because mom's pie is jelly-filled, so it jiggles when you eat it. Mmm. Mom's pie is so good, you won't mind if it gets stuck in your whiskers. But don't take our word for it. Just listen to these satisfied customers.
1: Hey, John, how's your mom's pie?
0: Mmm, my mom's pie is great, but check out Bob. He's got his mom's pie all over his face. Hey, Bob, you better wipe your chin. Mmm, my mom's pie is finger-licking good. And for those of you on the run, try a single mom's pie. Twice the fun and half the work. Mmm. Eating out tonight? Bury your face in mom's pie. Available in every flavor. But, cherry, Mm
3: -hmm. 10.46 at 5.60 WQM. Look at that. The Simpsons is uh, pulling off. I'm beginning to wonder about that. I think George has uh, put the fix in. Greatest TV show of all time. Simpsons 35. All in a Family 27. MASH 24. Seinfeld 19. Monty Python's Flying Circus 10. Star Trek. Next Generation 9. Everybody else is uh, sucking wind from there. Of course, you believe it. Yeah. Because you want to believe it. Retired priest who admitted fooling around with boys indicted for rape. Here's a follow-up on a story we had the other day. A retired priest who has admitted molesting boys was indicted yesterday in charges he sexually abused a boy, sometimes in a cemetery. The Reverend Ronald H. Paquin, 59, was being held on $100,000 cash bail, pending his arraignment on three counts of child rape, said Steve O'Connell, spokesman for the Essex County District Attorney's Office. The arraignment has not yet been scheduled but would be held next week, O'Connell said. Paquin is accused of sexually abusing the boy between March of 89 and January of 1992, O'Connell said. He was arrested last week at his home in Malden after the prosecutors received a tip that he was preparing to flee. Paquin is removed from active service at St. John the Baptist Church in Haverhill, Mass. in 1990. After allegations of sex abuse surfaced there, the church has paid settlements to at least four of his victims. How do you like that? In January, in an interview with the Boston Globe, Paquin admitted he molested boys in his Haverhill and Methuen homes. Sure, I fooled around, but I never raped anyone. I never felt felt gratified myself, Paquin said. I've gone 12 years and haven't abused anyone, so I'm not a pedophile because I'm not a predator. Ah! Paquin is also accused in a civil lawsuit of raping a teenage boy while he was in a treatment center for a troubled priests. The charge he denies. He's also named in a wrongful death suit by the family of James Francis, a 16-year-old boy who died in a car accident while Francis, Paquin, and three other teen boys were returning from a night of sex and booze at a New Hampshire camp. The suit alleges that Paquin fell asleep at the wheel. Paquin says he was sober that night. More to follow, I'm sure, soon, like next week. <clears throat> Speaking of such matters... A unanimous Ohio Supreme Court has struck down a state law prohibiting same-sex solicitation. Wednesday's 7-0 decision reversed an appeals court which had upheld the conviction of a man arrested in 1999 for soliciting sex from a male jogger. Justice Deborah Cook, writing for the majority, said the law violated the equal protection guarantees of the U.S. and Ohio constitutions. She said its effect was to limit one type of expression, offensive same-sex solicitations, while allowing equally offensive solicitations between opposite sexes. See that? In other words, if you straight assholes want to be offensive, we can be offensive, too. How do you like that? I like it. All right. Preventing the risk of violent responses to offensive solicitations could have been achieved by prohibiting all offensive solicitations of sexual activity, Cook wrote. And we sure don't want to do that, do we? No. <coughs> no. Yeah. Speaking of offensive, L.A. Cardinal apologizes for transfer. Cardinal Roger Mahoney's apologized for transferring a Roman Catholic priest from church to church. Despite an alleged confession from the man he had molested uh, that he had molested children for years, earlier this week Mahoney faxed a two-page letter to 1,200 priests in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, acknowledging that he mishandled in, uh, the case of Reverend Michael Baker. As your Archbishop, I fully assume responsibility for allowing Baker to remain in any type of ministry during the 1990s. Mahoney wrote. I offer my sincere per- personal apologies for my failure to take firm and decisive action much earlier. Right. Baker, 54, is one of several former priests being investigated by police. He allegedly molested at least nine youths beginning in 1976, according to L.A. Times interviews with victims, relatives, and lawyers. Baker told the newspaper that in December of 1986 he met with Mahoney and told of his sexual misconduct with children. He claims that Mahoney did not ask for specifics and appeared willing to let him remain in the priesthood. I told Mahoney I had a problem, Baker said. It was very solicitous and understanding. I was glad I brought it up. Baker continued to have access to children over the next 14 years. While it was assigned to nine different parishes around the Los Angeles area, newspaper said, Baker was asked to quietly retire in late 2000. Two men who claimed they were sexually abused as children by Baker from 1984 to 1999 later agreed to a $1.3 million settlement with the archdiocese They claimed Baker often had let them sleep in the rectumary where he molested them. Mahoney said Baker did receive treatment and counseling, but it was decided he could do specialized priestly ministry now related to children and youth. Despite that recommendation, it appears that Baker continued to interact with children until he left the church. Mahoney told The Times last month that there were few solutions in dealing with Baker in 1986 because the allegations were never proven. Our biggest problem was that he wasn't found guilty of a criminal act, Mahoney said. That's a big, big problem. It was a big one, he said. God. Did we ever find out how much those donuts cost? No. Best FM radio personality. Best AM. I can't even read this. The facts are so bad. What is this? I can't even read it. Best AM radio personality. Alberto Milian.
4: And then what does it say at the end? Readers. Choice Choice, Neil Rogers. Neil Rogers, Rogers, right. Oh, this must be a New Times, is it? This is the uh, best of Miami. uh, New Times Miami, right.
3: Best of Miami, New Times just came out. Best AM radio personality, Gilberto Millon. He's the son of uh, Emilio Millon, right? Alberto, I don't know who that is. Must be. What did I call him? Gilberto. (laughs) That was just for fun.
4: (laughs) But you haven't reached the best part yet.
3: Oh, I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I see it already out of the corner of my fly. Okay, just relax. Stay calm at all times, please. (laughs) Best FM radio personality, Lida A.K.A., is that what I'm saying? Because this copy is very bad.
4: Right, and I I wrote it.
3: Lita, A.K.A., Freaky Carlos, Power 96. I thought she was off that show by now. Yes. Oh, I see. Reader's Choice, Howard Stern, Best FM Radio Personality, and Best AM, Neil Rogers. But, of course, New Times, as they always do, have to be really clever and avant-garde and faggy and swishy, which they could have been faggy and swishy picking me, but they don't want to do that. So they pick Freaky Carlos, who's a real major asshole, an obnoxious person who's despised by virtually all in the building, who treats everybody at that reception desk like crap, who talks to people on the phone like some kind of a, a lunatic. But nevertheless, we like him a lot. Not. Is, is that it? Is that is the, this is the yeah. only one of any note? That's it. Okay, so thanks to the readers of New Times who picked me for whatever that's worth. How do you like that? Although the City CityLink, they picked uh, Pauly, your buddy Paulie, Polly Man. Right. Let's see, Uncle Neil, last night we're watching Smallville on UPN 34 in West Palm Beach at 1045. We lost our transmission and never saw the end of the show. Please fill us in. Thanks from Fartman in West Palm Beach. P.S. UPN 34 blows. Well, I guess they do. How could you, like, not have the end of Smallville on it? seems to me people would be riding in the streets if they cut off my Smallville. Absolutely correct, sir. You better believe it. So what happened in the last 15 minutes? He saved uh,
4: Lana. Yeah.
3: And then Lex Luthor uh, got uh, his buddy, his uh, scientist buddy, that he got squirreled away there. He uh, was digging through all the stuff there where they were digging up in that farm, and they found those uh, from the meteor shower. They found little uh, bits and pieces, little uh, pieces of evidence, and he's got in a little plastic sack a uh, kind of octagonal-shaped uh, piece of metal. And Lex Luthor says, well, what is it? And he said, it's unlike anything that exists on the planet Earth. So we can only assume, I guess, that it's kryptonite, right? No, it's a piece of the ship. Remember, they panned to the oh, ship. Oh, that's right, because you're very observant more so than I am, because I was assuming it was kryptonite, and I was feeling real bad for Clark. We don't want to make him weak. Oh, I'd like to catch him in a weak moment, but nevertheless, it's from the ship. It's a piece of the spaceship. So then at the end of the show, of course, we, we panned to the basement there
4: where that crazy little funky spaceship that brought Clark into Earth is sitting there in the basement. And there's the octagonal-shaped hole in the ship that matches the piece of metal. Right, they th- showed th- you a th- 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 close-up th- of
3: where that, where that chunk of crap Came from right out of the ship, and we said, "Oh, ship!" And next week, in the climactic last episode of the season, they show the previews that uh, they're they're grilling they're grilling Clark about, "Well, what the hell is this? And what's this all about?" And he's trying to, "Well, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't know no Godfather stuff like that." Did I miss anything else? Well, the the guy, the killer. Oh, the killer was well. That was in the last 15 minutes. The killer was one of the two cops. That she was Lana was right. seen through his eyes, and she right. was seeing these visions through his eyes. He was one of the cops, and, and, he, he, and he like uh, grabbed her off and took her to the amusement park. There, the amusement park, and Clark naturally came to the rescue and grabbed the bullet just as the bullet was about ready to hit her, and just as the glass was shattering from up above, he hovered on her. He uh, he was like uh, mounting her actually.
4: Is that what it looked like? <laughs> he, yes, he uh, he covered her up so that the glass wouldn't. He get mounted her. her. <laughs> right, <And laughs> then the right glass all her. shattered,
3: and then of course uh, he got up and uh, the uh, nasty cop, the bad guy, shot him a whole bunch of times. <laughs>
4: it just like, uh, and I was at. It didn't work. And then he went outside with the gun, and the other cops were there. And the a, and a cop shot one, and, and I was We didn't see it, but we know that the bad guy got killed. He,
3: which no, is good, because otherwise he would have told everybody else that he shot Clark Kent a whole bunch of times, and nothing happened. Right, but we
4: got to see that bullet coming right at him, and then.
3: Yeah, right at him. you. Too bad we didn't have that in 3D. From that would have been great. Point of view. And then there was one other thing that happened in there too. Oh, that's right. He asked right there toward the end. He finally butched up a little bit, and poor shy Clark asked Chloe to the uh, to the big uh, no. the uh, dress uh huh yeah. What do they call it? Uh, the prom, the social? No, not the prom. <laughs> the the uh, dress up social, whatever they like call that. The big dance. Yeah. In his pants. And she said, "Sure, Clark, can I see it?" No. And he ran away. He ran off and just hid behind the the woodshed. We can only imagine what he was doing back there. So anyway, Clark Kent, who just couldn't get laid in the goddamn Dutch whorehouse, he's uh, making a little bit of progress. Very slowly, he wants to move in very slowly on Chloe. And believe me, after we saw those close-ups of her in the sack there last night when she was not doing too good, I'd move in real slowly on that too, okay, and then run the other way, no matter what you like. 10.56 at 5.60 WQM. Tom Lehman likes it. He likes the listeners of this program. He loves this show. He loves me. He even likes George a little bit. That's why Tom created the Neil Deal at Hallett. Save big dollars on all Pontiacs and GMCs in stock. Just mention you heard about it right here on the infamous Neil Rogers Show. Stop by Hallett Pontiac GMC at 13401 South Dixie Highway. That's in the same great location they've been for 35 years, right there on US1, right across the street from the falls where every vehicle is marked with the lowest price. But if you mention the Neil Rogers deal, you'll save even more. Check out the complete line of GMC SUVs, including the Envoy, voted by Motor Trend as the SUV of the year. Plus, be sure and see the all. See, i got to throw those in there because otherwise time feels left out. See the all-new Vibe SUV. It's got the power of a sports car at a fraction of the price. Hallett's also got an unbeatable selection of dependable, quality, pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Never a single lemon on the lot at Hallett. And if you've been turned on for credit by any other uh, schmuck out there in Radioland, have no fear because at Hallett, they'll take good care of you make sure they work out a deal. Get the Neil Rogers deal right now at Hallett Pontiac GMC. You'll find them at 13401 South Dixie Highway. That's U.S. 1 across from the falls. Open every day of your life, seven days a week. You can call them at 305-238-4040, 305-238-4040. They're unbeatable. Hallett Pontiac GMC. Lauderdale, Miami, and
0: Sawgrass. The Neil Rogers Show on 560 WQAM, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Why are the pretty ones always insane?
6: Sweet,
4: sweet, frenzy. Tonight at 8, join Tom Wolfpack, Howard Hesman, Dick Van Patten, and
0: hundreds more of your favorite TV personalities as they go for a new record at poking a porn star. It's Celebrity Gang Band. Sweet, sweet, frenzy.
1: Then at 9, Stephen Bochco presents his new series, NYPD Nude. Where young life rookies grab their batons and go
0: deep, deep, deep undercover to meet out justice. It all starts tonight at eight with celebrity gangbang and NYPD nude at nine. Sweet sweet friend. sweet sweet frenzy. Eleven oh one
3: at five sixty, WQM Little Dog, Joe Rose for Mad Dog at one o'clock. Marlin's uh, baseball. I just said the magic word, I'm not even gonna dump it. I didn't like that. The South Florida baseball team plays this afternoon. Can you believe I said that? Unbelievable. I said um, Marlon Parkins. Perkins. <laughs> So anyway, Glenn in Iowa, who's one of our, not, and not just a chronic faxer, but at least a good chronic faxer. See, there's a difference. And even, though Jeff High's friend there, that fax was worthwhile about the butt slap, and that was worth a million bucks, you know? And if we had it, we'd send it to him. That was great. And if we had two million, we could open one of those franchises. Yeah, we could open up our own Krispy Kreme, god damn it. Oh! And the Beast could gain back those 30 pounds in about, uh, two, three days. Boy very, see, and nobody questions it. It's delicious stuff, but it's addictive. It's bad for you. It's going to wind up putting all of us in an early grave, or most of us anyway.
4: Maybe that sugar frosted, uh, that glaze is really crack cocaine.
3: You know what I really love? I mean, I love those too, but I'll tell you what I'm addicted to. Sugar
4: frosted flakes. Oh, they can, yeah. You could go through a box of those in one sitting.
3: I'm not talking about a box. I'm talking about the industrial size, like the size of the box that Al Goldstein brought in. (laughs) Remember, he had that cereal. It wasn't Frosted Flakes. No, 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 seriously, I'm talking about with no milk, although with milk, even better. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking just right out of the box. I could eat a whole big family-sized box of Frosted Flakes. I'm that way with Captain Crunch. Cut it out. Stop this right now. (laughs) So anyway, Glenn from Iowa faxes me this, and he writes at the end. He says, Neil was talking about Maria Butteroma yesterday. Butteroma. (laughs) Excellent, Glenn. Good one. (laughs) Yeah, you can smell the aroma right over the TV with those big bags under her eyes. Oh, Maria, you look so lovely today. You can just see all those old clones all over America who call in on that goddamn channel on CNBC who say that to that ugly, disgusting, wimpy, mousy bitch. Oh, you look so lovely, Maria. You can just see them sitting there with their goddamn blow-up bells, you know. These are the same people. Probably even their stockbroker don't want to talk to them. Probably hang up on the phone as soon as they call them. That's why they're calling Maria. Anyway, Neil mentioned Maria Butteromo yesterday and the, the sleazy side of CNBC. As usual, he scoops them all, Neil God, Love the no-call format, says Glenn and I. Well, thank you, Glenn. You're the best. This is an article by Paul Tharp in the New York Post. How did I miss this? Oh, I see. It's from today, no less. How do you like that? Excellent. See that? As usual, I'm like one-up on him, just like Glenn said, sucking around. Wall Street insiders may have capitalized on the stock picks of CNBC's Maria Money Honey Butteromo, Before the public even heard them on the air, says a new study. And, of course, in this story, he makes sure that, uh, you know, they suck up to everybody. Everything's on the up and up. Do we believe that? No. Stocks mentioned by the popular TV personality usually made big swings following her comments, but the real trading in the shares started at least 10 minutes before she uttered the names on the air, says the study by two professors. And trading in the shares jumped to a hectic pace in the five minutes just before Bartiromo's picks. The study suggested that traders with non-public information on the shares were setting up positions so they were ready to trade when the picks were finally aired. When Bartiromo's picks were disclosed, traders appeared to dump their shares to suckers eager to buy into the news of the picks, reaping instant profits of typically 61 basis points, the study's co author said. The two finance professors at Emory University's business school who did the study, Dr. Jeffrey Boosie and Dr. Clifton Green, said they suspected insider trading but doubted that Berta Roma was knowingly involved. Right. Right. We're not making any allegations here, but she makes me sick to my stomach. And every time I see her on there, like, winking and blinking and nodding and, like, uh, you know, inflecting, that's what comes to my mind. Bitch. We were always wondering what caused the activity before the reports were aired, said Bussy. It's got to be some insider activity, but we didn't think it would be anyone at CNBC because if they were to do it, it would jeopardize their careers. <laughs> we always speculated somebody she was getting information from realized that she was about to mention a company on the air. Of all the people she talked to, maybe a fraction of them traded on that information. The co-authors think traders were able to figure out what Roma was going to say on the year. It was pretty well known on Wall Street that if you got a call from her about a stock, it was probably going to be mentioned by her, Bussy said. CNBC said no one at CNBC would have been involved in improper trading activity. Well, what do you expect CNBC to say, for Christ's sakes, huh? You expect some spokesman from CNBC to say, oh, we're just manipulating the whole damn thing for fun and profit, mostly profit." CNBC has the highest journalistic standards in the business. Maria Rama has the most uh, utmost integrity. And any allegations or suggestions otherwise are completely without merit, said Bruno Cohen, executive vice president of Business News. See, how I get worked up about this because I'm so pissed off at what a fraud. I got sucked into like everybody else. It's a fraud. It's a big, fat, freaking fraud. Cohen said the unusual activity could have been a coincidence caused by midday strategy meetings of brokerages and the resulting sales activity. Anybody buying that? No. Just a coincidence. Flamboyant ex. Uh, here's another major asshole. Flamboyant ex hedge fund manager Jim Kramer admitted in an interview with the New York Times on Monday that he often talked to Bartiromo Romo and sometimes was able to glean information from her to trade on. Kramer later vehemently denied he made those remarks. How, how this man can be on the air, this Jim Cramer, who must have naked pictures of that Howard Kurtz guy from CN, who wrote that whole book, which supposedly was an expose of all of this crap, and turned out to be nothing but a but a suck-ass tribute to Jim Cramer. How he can be on the air has got to be one of the great crimes in the history of mankind. And they expect to have any credibility. He's on in the morning. He's on that show at night with that uh, right-wing fascist uh, Lawrence Kudlow. He's all over the goddamn place. And we're supposed to believe those bastards? No. The profits on Barteromo's picks depended on when those with advanced knowledge got into the stock and when they got out, said Bussie. Typically, the stocks would rise 41 basis points in the first minute after she mentioned them. So if you bought your position five minutes before she went on air, you gained an additional 14 basis points, Bussy said. If you bought 10 minutes before she aired, it was worth an additional 21 basis points, he'd be saying. If you got in early, you wouldn't have to worry about all the other trading orders that would get in your way after she mentioned it, he said. He said the sudden uptick in trading five minutes before airtime was unusual. It suggested that some insider was responding before it actually got on the air. The study was based on 20 weeks of Bartiromo's reports on 322 stocks during the bull market in mid-2000. It'll be published in the forthcoming issue of the Journal of Financial Economics. And I wonder, out of those 322 stocks, I wonder how many of those were part of the Internet bubble. You know what I'm talking about? The crap stocks that are now either worth nothing or like pennies? We all know exactly what I'm talking about? Uh You bet. Maria Bartiromo. Bitch. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for ex- helping to expose the big fat freaking fraud that is CNBC and that wrinkled eyed baggy eyed bitch. God, do I despise her? Let's see what you got. Uh, you know, I got a million things here, but these
4: faxes keep coming over. I want to make sure I catch that's, up. Uh, at least a third of the ones that are actually coming in here. Meaning what? Multiple pages of uh, just stories that you wouldn't be interested in. <laughs> hey, but at least they're on it, man. At least they're faxing it we got a
3: responsive audience now, man. They're doing it. Ow! That's right. Hop on that fax machine. At least then we can pick and choose. In fact, I'm picking one right now. Green one. Mm. 39 for the Simpsons. 36 for all in the family. I think we got a horse race. MASH, 29. Seinfeld, 22. And then it's way down to Monty Python, 11. Star Trek, Next Generation, 9. Sopranos have got 8. Chias it got 6, etc. Chias. Is this worthwhile? as Detroit to settle gay entrapment suit? Is that really worthwhile? I don't worthwhile? know. You tell me. Uh, I'll save it. And what about this Mia Maxima culpa? What the hell's that all about? Oh, I see. That might be pretty good. But I'll have to look it over during the break. Let me do my own stuff here, okay? I got important stuff. I got a pile. I got big piles. <laughs> see, probably there's some people out there who are very skeptical, people who you know don't understand how this works, thinking, oh, you know, the day is going to come when he'll not taking these calls most days, and he's going to like run out of material. Do you think that's going to come? No. Right. Not when you see the stack of crap that I got, baby. I got crap. I got crap piled all the way to the goddamn ceiling. That's one thing you don't want to do if you're going to do this kind of a format, is sitting and leave yourself like in limbo, and then, of course, have to depend on the callers. Oh, my God. Like like my former friends at Schmidty Link uh, once said a couple years ago, it was last year when they paid me that big tribute when they used to like me. Just like they said, on the days when he depends on the callers to like lead the way on the show, forget about it. There There is nothing happening. But I, th- I think I'm using them very judiciously. When there's something like a survey like this, that, that's when they shine. That's when they're real good. When they're not compelled to, like, give an opinion, formulate a real complete sentence or thought. When it's just calling in and saying, how about, uh, you know, uh, the Jefferson? Great, okay, and have a great day. And then that's it. It doesn't put any pressure on them. And that's the way they like it. And that's the way I like it. Join the overnight guys, Joe and Mark, at Gatsby's in Boca, 7 to 9 tonight. Stop by for crappy prizes, but register when trip to Lake Tahoe, which will be a damn good prize. The Vex models will be there with specials on Vex beer, and wait till you see the head on that Vex beer. Gatsby's is located in Boca Hillsborough Boulevard, 18th Street between Military and Powerline, and then join George this Saturday from two to four. He'll tell you some inside stories about all the crap that's going on there in the station. Two to four this Saturday at Fort Lauderdale Harley, on Federal Highway south of Oakland Park Boulevard. Stop by for prizes and free food from all of PD Lenny's sponsors. Little Old Caboose, Sopranos, and drinks from Champion Light. Now, I say all his sponsors. Did Sopranos spend any money on his... Oh, we had him on for a while, didn't we? I think we did. Or not? I don't remember. No, we didn't have money. here. I think they were just on the tags for Champion Light. I don't think they ever spent any money oh, on you the Oh, sure, I could you're be right. wrong about that. No, you're but right. I think they got a lot of free plugs.
4: Did you ever eat any
3: of their food from Sopranos? No.
4: Well, I why mean, not? They were in here, but uh, they came in during that period I wasn't eating. I see.
3: Well, at least that's something. At least they're bringing free food by. Because when we have to start giving plugs to people who don't even bring a free food by, then we start just getting a little bit porked off about that. And, of course, even if we have to give too many free plugs to people bringing food, like Scott and Ira, for example, mostly Scott from uh, whatever that place is, don't say it. Then then we start getting a little bit. Although, Remember those two or three spots that they bought that time that I embarrassed them into buying? Yes. From Atlantic City Subs, our close personal friend Ira and that asshole Scott. Remember that? That was a Defo thing, though. See, see, one thing about Defo, and, of course, uh, you know, I'm not going to say much. I wish him nothing but luck. He'll need it on the light bulb. But the fact of the matter is he, uh, had, uh, he had a lot of deals going with a lot of people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. A lot of deals. Twelve minutes past 11 at 560 WQM. Hey, speaking of deals, here's a great deal for you. If somebody offered to just hand you over several thousand dollars in cash during the next few years, I guarantee you'd say, hey, hand it right over. It would be a little foolish not to take it, which makes it really stupid to pass up a chance to refinance or buy a home at just 3.95%. Here's the way it works. There's a Fannie Mae program available for you just 3.95% for both refinancing and purchasing of homes. Think about it. Just 3.95%. And all you have to do is call Financial Group at their toll-free number, 1-800-940-5363 that's 809 5363 to be more specific you can get yourself a hundred grand with payments of only 475 bucks a month or get you 200 grand with payments of only 9 hundred fifty dollars a month you'll save yourself thousands and thousands and th- a lot of money so be downright stupid to pass up a chance to do something like that do the math and do the next logical thing get the details by calling financial group toll-free 1809 40 lend that's one 800 9 5363 equal housing lender credit restrictions do apply and rates are subject to
0: This Friday, live from Baltimore, on Sports Radio 560.
4: Come on in and lay down on my phone. <laughs> I'll never get these sh- stains out of my husband's shorts.
0: You will now. Introducing new No sh- Laundry Detergent with ScumGuard. Let's face it, human bodily fluids are the toughest stains to remove from valuable undergarments. Whether it's snot, vegetable secretions, blood, even s**t. New No sh- attacks these tough stains with patented ScumGuard for a deep down clean. Try new No sh- today and if you're not completely satisfied... We'll double your money back. No sh No sh With Scumguard.
3: What did she say? 1117 at 560 WQAM. I'm just looking at this picture here in the uh, National Post, which is a horrible newspaper, by the way, the worst. And I'm looking at this picture from um, this movie. <laughs> Attack of the Clones. Yes. Well, they've got so many stupid names for the different movies. See, at least instead of like Star Wars Part 1 and Star Wars Part 2, like with Star Trek, we have to have like a really clever hook, a real catchy name. Because Part 1 and Part 2, that's it. In addition to which, Part 4 was the first one. Correct. Right? Am I right about that? That's right. How would you know that? Well, I know that. I saw. Don't you think I saw the original
4: one? Yeah, but and maybe even the second one. Cared enough to keep track of which is which.
3: Hey, don't be knocking Mark Hamill now just because he got in a car wreck and his face got all put out, pushed out of. Uh, you know. And by the way, he's also. Uh, anyway, what? So I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at this, and granted, they're going to make a lot of money with this movie, and it's going to have gigantic box orifice and all of that. I don't know if it'll like outdo Spider Man, but nevertheless. I'm thinking to myself, since they had that very corny and embarrassing and poorly acted scene there, what if Hayden
4: Christensen and Natalie Portman really did it in the movie? You know what I'm saying? Really had sex? That could only have helped instead of the sappy dialogue they were sharing and exchanging.
3: No, but seriously, I mean, granted, there'd be a lot of people maybe nervous about bringing their little kids in there to see that, but, you know, maybe America might grow up someday. But I'm thinking that if they really got it on during a movie, like I'm talking about, you know, or like a real sex scene, I bet you they'd
4: get, like, uh, break all the box office records. You know, sometimes they film two different versions of movies so that they can play uh, another one right. on TV. That would be a good idea. The R-rated version with violence and sex. And then the... Uh, and the X-rated the, the, the version. The kitty crap <laughs> Let's that see, idea, uh,
3: this, you know, Bob, you're a good guy, okay, faxing Bob, but he's getting a little bit carried away, okay, the message sent to uh, we already this got is, this, know, okay, this, this, is this is from a reply guy. the
4: Chamber of Commerce guy, we already put that on the air, see, I think this is from Didn't a different we? guy, this is a different one, showing that oh, I see. everyone is getting this.
3: Oh,
7: I see, this, this is, this is a from a different genome. guy,
4: sorry, Bob, you're a good guy, Bob, we apologize profusely, Bob, don't bug me, Bob. Because here's a different message, and sure enough, here's the same response from this guy. Yeah, who's see, a, name is it's, on it's
3: this a, this was provided to the Chamber of Commerce by the homeless voice assholes, and it's like verbatim. It's a, it's a form of facts. It's just a, a standard form. They fax to everybody who complains. Please allow me to share God's word with you. When the son of man. I mean, for the Broward Chamber of Commerce to be responding with this kind of crap, there's something really, really wrong in. I'll tell you that right freaking now, man. There needs to be an investigation of this, but of course, being South Florida being what it is, because everybody in the media down there are a bunch of pussies, there won't be any investigation, just like that goddamn cop prostitute ring down there. I'm gonna tell you, that, to me, that's one of the, with all the uh, scandals we have with all the politicians and this one and that one and the, the Spicks and the Jews and the Schwarzers and all the other crooked politicians over the last 50 years in South Florida, in spite of all of that, there is nothing, in my mind, nothing, that outdoes this business with the uh, teenage prostitute ring that cops were running and that other cops were, uh, were soliciting and using. And 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 the great media down there, all these investigative reports, including the avant-garde, very gutsy and very ballsy New Times and Shitty Link magazine, all of the, uh, didn't do a goddamn thing. Unless uh, unless we missed it, do you think we missed it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, no. Where's the beef, baby? Where's the real balls in the goddamn media down there to investigate unbelievable, outrageous scandal and crap? God, it just uh, frost my ass. So when the real stuff comes along, eh, you know, we can't be bothered with that because somebody's either getting smeared somewhere, which is most likely, or because maybe somebody's being intimidated a little bit. That could be it, too. I'll say it for the 8 millionth time. You can't complain about the journalism in South Florida because, generally speaking, there isn't any. Just like that great thing that the Herald did about investigating the Miami International Airport and all the payoffs and Mayor Pinga Pekane and all his friends. Did that change anything? Is there any follow-up? No. No, it's the same crap. Same old crap. In fact, I have a story, which I think I threw out because it got dated, about the black toppers in Dade County, the uh, the the yeah the guys who do the lines in the road also, right? And about a big scandal with that, about how, uh you know, it was all these payoffs they had to make to get the contracts. And just like the guy that called us that one day from Palm Beach, that poor enterprising business guy, he said, you can't even, they won't even talk to you unless you smear the right hands in Dade County to do anything in the airport. He was trying to get, like, a, you know, a vending thing in the airport. They won't even look at you unless you smear people there, because that's how corrupt it is. So please, don't give me a song and a dance about, well, you know, you're picking on South Florida. I'm picking on it because it's the goddamn truth, because it's a place that's bankrupt. It's morally bankrupt. It makes me sick. It makes me want to puke. Anyway, so nobody's going to look into the Chamber of Commerce in Broward and why they hopped into bed with a homeless voice and maybe who's getting smeared there a little bit. And to think that they can't have their own people respond to the faxes, they have some kind of a form of religious uh, gobbledygook thing that homeless voice gave them to send back? That's just outrageous is what it is. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that too. Maybe even... Incredibly. But that's South Florida for it, never going to change. It's never going to change because, like I've told you for years, the only things they're passionate about are the early bird dinner and what can we get for free. That's it. That's what really turns on the populace of most of South Florida. What can we get for free and the early bird dinner? And, boy, if we can get that for free, then life is really Oy. worth living, almost. Am I getting a little bit worked up about that crap? It's just, no, not enough. Oh, this thing with the homeless voice being, and not just welcoming them in and legitimizing them, but
4: having a fundraiser for them? And promoting them.
3: And I'll guarantee you, we didn't have a half a dozen people that faxed the goddamn Broward Chamber of Commerce about that and got bent out of shape. And you should be bent out of shape. Because everybody that I talk to is is, as pissed off as I am about these assholes out there in the middle of the road, blocking you off and intimidating you at every intersection all over town in Dade
4: and Broward. Who are multiplying probably multiplying like like the Palm Beach, it wouldn't surprise me, huh? Just wait till you come back to town. They're multiplying, they're spreading, they're thicker than ever.
3: Yeah, and it's like a goddamn disease. And then, and their responses after the various municipalities uh, threaten them with you know passing laws to get them off the streets. The responses: Well, if you try to keep us off these major intersections, we're going to go like into back streets and into people's uh, private neighborhoods. And they better stay out of back street. How do you like that? To tell you the kind of militant cult that this is, legitimate organizations don't make threats. They don't operate by intimidation. They don't try to muscle their way into your uh, into your life. But this is not a legitimate organization. So you people at the goddamn Robert! Chamber of Commerce, man, you haven't heard the last from me yet. I'm and Not that it's ever going to do any good, but at least I'll be the one voice that keeps screaming about it. Just like the thing with that uh, cop-prostitute ring. Here we are talking about the Catholic Church, and rightfully so, and all these other religious organizations, these fronts for a uh, perversion, where they've been molesting all these little kids for years. But I guess if cops do it, then it's okay. If any of you listening to me did it, you'd be in a goddamn slammer for 50 years. <coughs> but in South Florida, man, it's just a la-la land. Just keep rolling along, mind your own business, go out and fry your brains in the sun, and that's it. Speaking of that, New York Daily News, grand jury eyes priests, Westchester County panel weighs sex charges in archdiocese role. A Westchester County grand jury has launched a wide-ranging probe into sexual misconduct complaints against New York Archdiocese and Priest and the role church administrators played in handling the allegations the New York Daily News has learned. The investigation is focusing generally on allegations contained in the personnel files of priests that were provided to Westchester District Attorney uh, G.N. Pirro's office, recently by the Archdiocese, sources be saying... The grand jury is also looking into possibly incriminating information provided by members of the public and victims whose cases have not been publicized yet, the sources added. At least one computer was seized from the rectum of a Westchester Parish as authorities investigate possible links to child pornography, the sources added. The grand jury began hearing testimony May 6th and met again on Monday, sources said David Abair, Piro's chief aide, said he had no comment. Joseph Zwillings, spokesman for the Arts said he was unaware of the grand jury probe and had no comment. One source said a handful of priests are being investigated. Another uh, said some of them remain on active duty. The Reverend Gennaro Gentile, subject of a Daily News investigation in March, and one of six priests suspended by the Archdiocese in April, is among those being investigated by the grand jury, the sources be saying. Gentile, known as Father Jerry, has been dogged by allegations of sex abuse for 30 years. He served at Holy Name of Mary Church in Croton-on-Hudson from 1987 to 2000 and has handled annulments for the Archdiocese before suspension. In its investigation of Gentile, the news described a chronic pattern of sexual misconduct, citing court documents and interviews with witnesses and alleged victims. Some of those interviewed contend that Gentile had sexually assaulted them in his rectory bedroom at his remote upstate lake house and even in the family room of one of the victims. A lawsuit filed against Gentile in 1997 by the parents of two young men was quickly settled in December. The family agreed to a gag order as part of the settlement. Yeah, I bet you somebody was gagging on it. The news also reported in March that another teen's family had been given money to pay for that youngster's psychiatric therapy as long as the family did not reveal the arrangement with the church. Hush money. 26 after the hour at 560 WQM. We got Joe Rose with Mad Dog at 1. We got uh, your baseball game this afternoon. Joe Zagacki after baseball because, well, just one of those things. And then the big oh at 10 o'clock. The Dirty Boys, join Mark, overnight, following their big appearance at Gatsby's and Boca tonight. Hey, speaking of amazing places to go, let me tell you again, Armadillo Cafe, if you haven't checked it out. And I don't know why, because it's been around for a very long time, almost as long as I've been in town. And they started in that little unassuming place on Davie Road Extension there in Davie. And you drive by and you think, hey, I hear it's really a great place, but it looks like, uh, you know, not much. But in spite of that, it just became more and more famous and more popular because the food was so good that people would come from all over town to the Armadillo Cafe. And now in their great new location, there's no excuse. They're at 3400 South University Drive between 595 and Griffin Road in Davie. Right kitty corner of the pizza loft. They might be on Pier 1 Imports. So it's a great location. Tons and tons of free parking. They've got complimentary valet parking if you like, too. And the food is unmatchable. Start out with an appetizer like the tequila grilled shrimp with corn cakes or the Tempura Island Princess conch. Try one of their terrific spinach salads with glazed pecans or the pistachio-crusted mozzarella salad with the best and freshest ingredients that money can buy. And while you're at the Armadillo, some of the entrees you'll want to try, like the pan-seared yellowtail snapper with roasted peppers or the sea bass with sweet corn and veal glaze. Just tons and tons of amazing mouth-watering entrees on the menu. And then, for dessert, it is beyond belief. The creme brulee is the best you'll have anywhere in the world. And the warm chocolate fritters covered with hot fudge, I'm sure, are just as good. I never had that, and believe me, I probably better not. Call the Armadillo Cafe for reservations. Call 954-423-9954. 954-423-9954. 954-423-9954. Try Armadillo Cafe. One time you'll understand why for 14 years in a row, it's been voted one of the best restaurants in Broward County. It's smoke-free, and like I said, tons of free parking, too. Armadillo Cafe. Be sure and tell them that old Neil sent you by. Like I said. It's wielding toy lightsabers. Just having a good old time. See what I'm saying? Oh, now How come that didn't play, George? I don't know. Should I try it again?
0: this afternoon from Coors Field in Colorado. Coverage starts at 2.30 on Sports
5: Radio 560 QAM. A dingo ate my baby.
1: They want us to find a way to reimburse them for back pay from 200 years ago when they were slaves. Well, I only have a mobile home A pitfall and a pinch of skull So if you wanna ask me how Here's what I gotta say You've got to kiss a nigger good morning And tell him that you're sorry for enslaving them all Kiss a nigger good morning And that's for everybody who is dead and gone If I was born in 1802, owning slaves ain't something I'd do. But what were dead people did to you, I have to take the blame. Would you settle for an old Pontiac with a can of smelly cherry and back Instead of 40 acres and a mule, I have a better way. You've got to. Yes, a nigger, good morning. Plant one on Halle Berry, Morgan Freeman, too. Yes, a nigger, good morning. And that's your restitution for enslaving you. Yes, a nigger, good morning. And tell him that you're sorry for enslavin' them all. Yeah, got Yes, a nigger, good morning. And that's
6: for everybody who is dead and gone. All
3: right. at 560 WQAM. 45 for The Simpsons, 43 for All in the Family, our final runoff or spinoff or whatever the hell it is. Best TV show of all time. Simpsons, 45, All in the Family, 43, MASH 31, Seinfeld, 26. And after that, it's way, way downhill. Blacks debate slavery reparations. That's why I just played that. Plus the fact we like it. In Newsday today, it says, Joe Hicks says he and millions of people like him are the reason reparations for descendants of African slaves are a bad idea. Good. A black professional and family man, Hicks, Hicks works in an L.A. high-rise, owns a home, and has two daughters. He says reparations would be an insult to hard-working blacks who insist they need some kind of government aid because of something that happened over a century ago. And you are... Absolutely correct, sir. Right. There's the good schwarzer for you. Reparations have emerged as a major issue for black activists this year, with class-action lawsuits contending that present-day gaps between whites and blacks and everything from income to life expectancy are the legacy of slavery. (laughs) Yet a vocal minority in the black community, including Hicks and other often conservative intellectuals and activists, are arguing against the reparations drive. Good for them! The majority of black Americans are, in fact, middle class, says Hicks' executive director of the Center for the Study of Popular Culture, a conservative stink tank. They don't feel the crushing weight of slavery in their daily lives, he'd be saying. Reparations advocates argue that descendants of enslaved blacks are owed a debt for their ancestors' unpaid labor and the consequences of slavery. Most American blacks or whites don't even understand slavery. They really don't understand the impact that it's had in our culture and how it lingers, said Ray Winbush, who's editing a book on reparations that includes essays from both supporters and detractors. People want to say that was then, this is now. Wasn't there a movie like that? There was, with Emilio Estevez. And uh, Craig Sheffer. That was then, this is now. What the reparation discussion does is connect those historical dots between slavery and now. It's kind of like, you know, when the Indians owned Manhattan. We'll, we'll, we'll make a lot of dots and connect between back then and then, like, uh, you know, all those beads they got. Even today, advocates note an income gap between blacks and whites persists. Can't imagine Why? About 47% of black households could be considered middle income in the year 2000, according to analysis of census data by the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies, another stink tank focusing on black issues. But there's sure a lot of stink tanks around, you know what? A lot of stink tanks, but there's nobody thinking. By contrast, about 64% of white households were middle income. 47% of black households, 64% of white households. Earlier this month, a man who's a descendant of African slaves filed a federal lawsuit against a bank, an insurance company, and a railroad claiming they or their corporate predecessors unjustly profited from slavery. Three slave descendants filed similar suits in March. Yet, now here, and i got to be careful with his name, N-I-G-E-R? Niger. Niger Innes, national spokesman for the Congress of Racial Equality, says, the reparations debate within black America is not the slam dunk you might believe. See, see there you go, there's a dark guy using a basketball term again. The reparations debate within black America is not the slam dunk you might believe. There's a little rebellion that's taking foot. Innes, Hicks, and others are debating reparations uh, advocates like the Reverend Jesse Jackson, the unctuous Jesse Jackson, and Adjoa Ayatora of the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. The Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson, a conservative black activist, and of course, obviously a reverend, is planning a nationwide Stop Reparations Now tour at university churches and community centers beginning in June. Let's hear it for the reverend. Reparations advocates know most white Americans are not going to stand up for it against fear of being called a racist. Now, say it again. Most white Americans are not going to stand up against it, I see, for fear of being called a racist, Peterson said. Recent people, immigrants who came here illegally, will have to pay. This is just another shakedown. Now, do you agree with that, that most white people are going to stand up against reparations? I don't believe that for a second.
4: I think their point is that uh, there's not going to be a big public outcry you know, rallies. Well, I guarantee be, uh, there'll be plenty of uh,
3: private outcry behind closed doors. I'll tell you that right. there'll be plenty of crying on this show, publicly and privately, because the answer is uh, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's horse crap. Just another, another desperate attempt to get a handout. No chance. Get your hand out of my pocket, god damn it. It's an argument Winbush said he encounters frequently. My ancestors didn't own slaves, so why do I have to pay for something I didn't have anything to do with? He answers by setting the $20,000 paid to each Japanese American held in internment camps during World War II. It's American as apple pie to pay taxes or whatever for what this nation did, Winbush said. The difference being what he doesn't understand is that those Japanese Americans who were held in internment camps, those people actually had a, compl- a complaint because they were, they were violated. Them. Not some of their ancestors 2,000 years ago or 400 years ago or whatever the hell it was. I guess he, don't, he doesn't uh, see the distinction, does he? No. Maybe he better go back and spend more time in his think tank. Some who oppose reparations believe the movement depicts blacks as victims. It's sort of a continuation of the sort of grievance politics that black American leadership has fallen into, where you just claim grievance and victimization and hope to get from a larger society some preferential treatment or money, said Shelby Steele, a research fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Reparations would not correct social ills such as inadequate school systems. There you go. Now we're starting to get warm a little bit. Underdeveloped urban centers and the proliferation of gangs, critics say. Now we're starting to get to the meat of the matter. If you threw money at schools and the racial profiling issue, that would do precisely nothing, said John McWhorter, a senior fellow at Manhattan Institute, a New York-based conservative-leaning stink tank. Detractors also say the details of determining who's entitled to reparations could split the black community. For example, would someone with one black parent be entitled to reparations? And what about Malcolm? You think he deserves any? A quarter. Said Ennis, these are the types of questions that not only are going to divide black America from the rest of America, but divide black America within itself. Well, I don't think it's going to happen because I don't think it's going to get that far. Do you? No. No. In spite of Jesse Jackson and all the other people looking for a grandstanding once again, I think the answer is very clearly no when the board goes back. Try some other way. 20 before uh, noon at 560, WQM. Look at that. Simpsons, 48, all in the family, 46. It's getting nip and tuck. It's getting tight, baby. Mash way down there at 32. You know, mattress shopping is just plain. Look what it says in my copy here. Look at the word. Just plain stupid. That's what it says. You can't actually test mattress comfort by lying out in the store somewhere for a few minutes with some asshole sales guy standing over your shoulder while the plastic is still on the mattress, by the way. How the hell can you test that out? So if you want to really test out a mattress and if you really want to get the best one going at an unbeatable price, call our good friends at Donna Mattress, 1-800-MATTRESS, like I always be doing. Because Donna Mattress gives you so much more than just great service. They give you an unbeatable deal all the way around. Like I said, low prices, top name brands, Serta, Sealy, Simmons, King Oil, they got them all they got the uh, people answering their phones who really know this business inside and out, so they hook up with exactly the mattress you're looking for. And because they got the deepest selection of brand-name mattresses, you don't have to worry about getting bait and swish. They'll never do that to you. The one you want is in stock right now, available for immediate delivery when you want it, when it's convenient for you, like I've been telling you for a coon's age. So pick up that phone and call Dollar mattress right now. Believe me, you'll feel it in your back and the way uh, your whole body feels every day when you walk around sleeping on a great mattress. Call 1-800-MATTRESS. Do the smart way, not stupid. 1-800-M-A-T-T-R-E-S. Or look them up on their website if you prefer at Mattress.com.
0: From Mark Light Stadium, coverage gets underway at 7 on Sports Radio 560. QAM. What is Plato's Retreat?
1: <laughs> Don't like all the hard Every time I see dum, 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 That retarded dim dum, 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 On my TV He's President of Republicans muscled in An inarticulate idiot I don't know why They would want this guy But now he With President Thumbs. Sh. President Thumbs Oh, what I give to count votes once more. And get who we all voted for. Why? Oh, if you want this. Dum, dum, dum. Lips, drumming,
2: stupid key. Don't dum, don't, 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 don't
1: drunk and rich kid, he's even dumber than me, he's President Dumpsh**, you don't care what it took, you got him in by hook or crook, the Christian right, knows what's best for you and I, but have no fear, we've got a great leader here, with President Dumpsh**.
3: As America continues its never-ending search for mediocrity, here we got it. And you know, you realize with all the scandal going on with Enron and everything else, with the um, brokerage houses admitting that they've been touting stocks, that behind the closed doors they've been saying we're a bunch of crap, in spite of that, this president's still promoting his uh, plan on letting you take part of your Social Security money and gamble it away, I mean, and invest it in the market. I mean, you talk about chutzpah on behalf of all of his uh, corporate friends. It is just unbelievable. And, of course, the bush lickers out there oh, yeah, well, that's a good idea. That's a great idea. Let's see if we can't invest all of our money for all those years instead of getting such a crappy return on that Social Security. Well, we'll get to that. i got another great story from our good friend Dave, who's going to be a chronic faxer, but with some good stuff today. Nice going, Dave. Maybe it's rubbing off from Fat Boy. What do you think? (coughs) Defendant as judge for castration, judge to rule in sex offense case. This is on Miami Beach, no less. A man who confessed to sexually assaulting an 11-year-old boy has told a judge he'll plead guilty if he can avoid prison by being surgically castrated. All right. Ricardo Jose Garcia, uh-oh, 37, was accused last year of performing oral sex on a child under 12. Under Florida law, he'd face a life sentence if convicted of an offense against a victim that young. Garcia's trial was set to begin this week, but when Garcia made his request, Miami Circuit Court Judge Roberto Piniero called a recess and said he would ponder the ethics of the ruling. Pinheiro was expected to respond sometime today. Garcia made the request because prosecutors have a strong case against him, defense lawyer Robert Pertierra said, they, uh, Roberto, Roberto, they have a sworn confession and DNA evidence and my client will be looking at a prison sentence that ends only when they carry you out in a casket, he said. A tisket, a tasket, we're going to carry your ass out in a casket. Garcia's got no prior arrests. He'd absolutely rather live outside of prison without his testicles than in prison for the rest of his life with them," said Perdiera, who advised Garcia not to talk to reporters. Dade County police arrested Garcia, a popular social studies teacher, at Miami Northwestern High School in April of last year for allegedly performing oral sex on a boy he was babysitting. He's under house arrest at $75,000 bond. The child's mother testified on Monday she'd be satisfied if Garcia only spent a couple of years in prison, according to court testimony. Police detectives recommended the same. Florida's castration law took effect in 1997. The law makes chemical castration mandatory for repeat-sex offenders and gives judges discretion to impose the punishment on first-time molesters. A judge cannot order surgical castration, but defendants can volunteer. Garcia's attorneys argue that the law allows a shorter sentence with physical castration. Prosecutor David Shapiro said he'll push for a life sentence. He'll contend that state law says neither chemical nor surgical castration can be reduced to, uh, used to reduce prison terms. A judge in Okaloosa County in the Florida Panhandle handed down sentences in 1999 and 2000 along the low end of state guidelines to three defendants who agreed to be surgically castrated. Oh, All right. When in doubt. <laughs> when in doubt, snip them off baby. Oh. Let's see, Chris. Uh, uh... Oh, you—you you have to be joking me. Uh, if this is I true. If this is true that Norma can't call the Mr. Ego show this morning I will never speak to that child again in my life says Chris who's a 17-year-old listener do you think uh, somebody who's a loyal listener to the show would not uh make that up
4: I don't want to think about it
3: Storm and Norman I don't want to I don't want to think about him I don't want to in fact you know something I want to talk about him now or to him Anyway, mob muscles in on market. This keeping in mind that your president wants to let you take and gamble away your Social Security money when you're a young person so that by the time you get to be like a uh, retirement age, you'll have nothing left like the Enron people. Just gamble it away. In fact, how about free plane tickets to Vegas is a better idea. At least you'll have a good time there. You'll come home broke, but you'll have a great time. This is from the Daily News. When Robert Gallo applied to be a registered stockbroker, he mentioned his only previous experience was as a labor foreman. He didn't say anything about his reputed association with one of the nation's largest crime families, New York's Genovese clan. Mafia-run stock market firms focus on violence and ripping off clients. Once Gallo joined the Monitor Investment Group at 20 Exchange Place, he acted in a manner more consistent with a character in The Sopranos than someone who keeps track of the Moneyline News Hour. On June 14th, Gallo was indicted, along with 119 others, in the biggest securities fraud case in U.S. history. Since then, law enforcement officials and financial regulators have come to believe the mob's influence on Wall Street may be even greater than they once suspected. The five New York Mafia families say authorities have figured out that the current bull market has made it ripe for the picking. Officials see increasing cooperation among crime families to divide up the Wall Street pie. They're getting more together, said Barry Maughan, director of FBI's New York office. They're apt to be taking advantage of the good times. They know how we look at them. If they can branch out in a new area we're not as aware, that's to their advantage." Investigators, prosecutors, and regulators with the National Association of Securities Dealers and the SEC all agree that the mob has lurked at the margins of Wall Street for years. But now for the first time, prosecutors say a mob boss is receiving a per-share mob tax in a tax, uh, stock scam. Alphonse Boy" Persico, reputed acting boss of the Colombo crime family, is getting six cents for every share the mob secretly controls in various pump-and-dump schemes, prosecutors allege. Pump-and-dump. Assistant U.S. Attorney Patrick, I bet you Cecil knows about that, pump and dump. Assistant U.S. Attorney Patrick Smith, who's leading the 120 defendant mob on Wall Street case for Manhattan U.S. Attorney Mary Jo White, said the money is funneled through Persico's cousin, Frank Persico, a registered broker since the end of the last bull market in 1988. Frank Persico, an alleged Colombo associate, along with Gallo and Vincent Langella, another reputed Colombo associate, represents the new breed of rising mafia star, the wise guy broker. A review of their resumes reveals a trail of fraud as they jump from one scam brokerage house to another. All three have been indicted in various security fraud schemes. For instance, from January 1989 through December 92, Persico worked at A.S. Golden & Company. He jumped to J.W. Barkley from March 1993 through February of 94, then to Myers-Pollock Robbins through June 1995. Then he moved to William Scott & Company through November 97, then to First Liberty Investment Group. All of these firms have been implicated in massive fraud and investigations by the Manhattan District Attorney, the Manhattan U.S. Attorney, and the SEC. A look at the history of these mob-connected brokerage houses shows how they operate within a few blocks of one another in the heart of Wall Street. There, the crime families of New York, who often can't agree on anything, forge temporary and fragile alliances to make money. At 17 State Street from 1993 through '96, White Rock Investments was a co-op agreement between the Banano, colombo and Genovese families, according to Brooklyn Federal Prosecutors. At 30 Broad Street in 1996-97, Myers-Pollock-Robbins was controlled by the same um, allegiance of Bonanno, Colombo, and Genovese families, according to court papers. At 80 Broad Street and 84 William Street in 1996, First Liberty became a joint venture between the Bonanno and Colombo crime families, prosecutor Smith said. And most recently, in 1998 through last June, DMN Capital Investments at 5 Hanover Square was run by the Bonanno and Gambino families, an indictment brought by Manhattan federal grand jury alleges. Investigators say Wall Street is a perfect spot for La Cosa Nostra's strong-arm tactics. The mob is threatening white-collar yuppies, not longshoremen or teamsters. Typically, mobsters muscle in on a small brokerage house, then set up boiler rooms to hard-sell to hard stock in classic pump-and-dump schemes. Gangsters secretly own stock in worthless companies. They pay off corrupt brokers and stock promoters to pump up the stock's value by telling unwitting investors a company's about to go public or when a huge contractor be brought up by a major firm. When the value rises significantly, they dump the stocks en masse, forcing the stock value to plummet and leaving in the lurch unwitting investors who often are senior citizens. When the scheme is exposed, they move on to another questionable firm. I call it the maggot run, said one regulator who spoke on condition of anonymity. Brokers go from one sleazy firm to the next. They rip people off and then they move on before they get caught or sued. At DMN Capital in Hanover Square, a former employee who spoke to the Daily News on condition of anonymity described the atmosphere as one big party. Run by the reputed Gambino associate James Labotti and Banano associate Salvatore Piazza and Jeffrey Pocross. How the hell did he get in there? DMN frequently threw parties with hookers at Midtown Hotels, spending wildly as it scammed unsuspecting investors through hard sell tactics, said the former DMN uh, employee. Prosecutors alleged that to keep the party going, the gangsters kept stock promoters in line by threats of violence. When one promoter was suspected by DMN's gangster principles of being an informant, Labate, who's not a broker, allegedly knocked him out with one punch, then stripped off his shirt to see if he was wearing a recording device, according to Prosecutor Smith. Like many of the mob-run firms, there inevitably came a day when there was a falling out amongst thieves and DMN Colombo's associate Persico shot up a DMN computer when he decided he'd been ripped off, Smith says. Admires Pollock, a 6 Forge Genovese associate, slapped a broker in the face. The broker sought help from a Bonanno associate, and both families arranged a February, 20, uh, February 12, 1997 sit-down at the Abracciamento Italian restaurant near Carn- uh, Can- Canarsie Pier in Brooklyn. Best veal in the city. Yeah. Abracciamento. As a result, prosecutor, maybe they should have had Aiden and Louis in the Bronx instead. You know, I hear the veals better there. As a result, prosecutors allege the Bonanno family uh, agreed to let the Genovese family control Myers uh, Pollock, Pollock. At Monitor Investment Group, the pump-and-dump scam began to fall apart when one of the stockbrokers who was beaten decided to fight back with a lawsuit. Registered broker Robert Grant, who now lives at an undisclosed location in fear of mob revenge, said in court papers he'd been working at a monitor for several months when broker Robert Gallo told him there was a staff meeting in the conference room. <coughs> On January 1996, Grant and a co-worker walked in without warning for no stated reason, were attacked. Gallo and five other brokers beat the two men with fists and kicked them to the floor. One man was clubbed with an office chair, the other was uh, bitten on the back. Grant later taped Gallo, who apologized for the beating, but said he believed Grant was about to skip to another firm and take customers with him. He then recited dialogue that could have come from just about any mob movie imaginable. The way yous carried yourselves, that yous was looking to do the wrong thing to us, he said. Sometimes, you know, cooler heads don't prevail, but unfortunately, you know, it's nothing personal between me and you. In other words, it's not personal, it's only business. Oh! Four minutes before noon at 560 WQAM. Summertime's upon you, baby. On the days when it's not pouring cats and dogs, it's 110 degrees in the shade, and from what everybody says, it's going to be brutal this summer. But OleoMed is a great product that will help you to feel your best and keep you in good health, help you survive the softly South flow summers. OleoMed is a soft gel capsule that contains the best olive oil on the face of the globe, and we all know the great things that olive oil can do for us, uh-huh. in us, on us, underneath us. Uh-huh. It contains olive oil along with vitamins and minerals and herbals to promote health for all different parts of your body, for your prostate. For your heart, for your blood pressure, for your cholesterol. Oleomed's also got supplements to mel- promote health in your circulatory system, your digestive, your endocrine system, your skin and bones, even your mind as well. All using the benefits, like I said only moments ago, of the best olive oil that money can buy. And Oleomed's got products, as I'm sure you know by now, for men and for ladies as well. Oleomed's available at Walgreens, Whole Food Markets, Navarro Pharmacy, and Sedanos. If you want to get more info on their products, how they work, and what they be doing, call them toll free. They'll answer your questions. 1-866-Oleomed. That's 866-O-L-E-O-M-E-D, or you can order their products right off their website.
7: ...grill in North Miami Beach on Biscayne Boulevard.
0: The Neil Rogers Show on 560 WQAM, Miami, Fort Lauderdale.
1: It's the 12 to 1 hour. Oi, Saturday night on CBS, Edith is back from the dead. It's the 20th anniversary of All in the Family.
0: Oh, looky there. If it ain't Dom Deloise. Oh, Daddy, don't be such a poop. Oh, geez. Now, whatever happened to my little girl? Look at this. Why don't you push yourself away from the table, huh? Maybe have a salad once in a while? Daddy, don't you know how many of the world's people have never had a decent meal? Again with the charity spielands. Well, it's true. Charles, so, why don't you send them the bones from the turkey you had for breakfast, oh. huh, Butterboy? <laughs> oh, I thought she was pushing up daisies by
6: now. Oh, no, Archie. The last episode was all a bad dream.
0: Didn't seem so bad to me. Look, who was your back there, Beat Brush the date off you and give me another beer. Hmm? Oh, okay. The 20th anniversary of All in the Family, Saturday night on CBS. Brought to
2: you by IBS Home Correspondence School, where you can learn auto mechanics,
0: gun repair, How will you stifle yourself more Ooh.
3: the reason I played that is All in the Family just jumped ahead. It's still uh, really tight, All in the Family 55, the best TV show of all time. This is our runoff today on neilrogers.com. This is our uh, final uh, tally. We're milking it for all we can get. All in the Family 55, Simpsons 51, MASH 36, and Seinfeld 33. And after that, it's uh, way down the list. So here's George saying, by the way, something, the mob broker connection was a storyline in the Sopranos last season. It was just like the story I
4: read. If the brokers didn't go along with the program, the goons beat the Schmidt out of them. How do you like that, huh? Way ahead of its time, although obviously that was going on for a long time before we got that story. See,
3: during that break there, I'm just thinking to myself, There's a, here's another even better similarity between Vegas and the stock market is the fact that it's rigged. It's rigged. Right. And the little guy hasn't got a chance. I mean, you might get lucky. You know, Some people got lucky during the Internet bubble and they just happened to get in at the right time and maybe they were smart enough to get out. That That's just blind luck. Like in Vegas, you can win in Vegas. You know, you can get lucky for sure. If you win too much, of course, speaking of breaking your legs, they don't get too happy about it. They don't like guys that come in here, wise guys, and you know, and win too much money, so then they bring out their own wise guys. Use and guys. that's just the way it is. It's a big scam. And anybody who doesn't believe that, I mean, when you, when you sit and you watch the stuff that goes on and you see the mad, the way that these things are manipulated and the wild, massive swings that take place, little people aren't doing that. <laughs> no. No, some, some 78-year-old woman who's hoping to, like, make a few bucks so she can pay for prescription drugs in, in Dubuque, Iowa, somewhere. She's not manipulating the market. I'm not manipulating it. George ain't manipulating it with his little uh, 25-cent stocks there on the uh, NASDAQ. And we sit and we watch the ticker every day, and it's a part of our lives. It's uh, right now, boy, there's that bald-headed asshole Ari Fleischer. Reporting on threat. Yeah, I'll threat this. And the little tickers are in the corner. NASDAQ's down 2.44 and the Dow's up a few points, but not too much. And it'll go down. And, uh, and no matter where you turn to, pretty soon it's going to be on the goddamn comedy channel. Every channel, it's going to be like mandatory that you have that on there. It's like a, it's like a sublimable thing, like the president would say. To keep it in your head. So like, oh, let's better run. Look at that. Look at the bargains that are waiting for us now. Right. Look at the Cisco at 16 bucks. Look at Oracle at 8 bucks. Look at Sun Microsystems at like $7.03 or something like that. And Palm at 2.5 bucks. Look at all these great companies that are supposed to be the best goddamn thing that money can buy. This is a way to retire, man. This is a way to invest so you really make the big bucks. Isn't it? No. It's a scam. It's a fraud. And in the meantime, they intellectualize it, and therefore it makes it, in. and they have all these pundits on there, and David Faber says this, and Joe Kernan says that, and Maria Bartiromo uh, uh, she says this. And blinks her eyes, and winking and blinking and nodding, and like, uh-huh, you're like, you know, with the inflection of the voice, we're under pressure, we're under pressure. I say it ought to be against the law for them to put those down. If you want to watch the gambling channels, be my guest, CNNFN FN, and CNBC, that's it. And if MSNBC wants to put it on there because their their ratings suck anyway and they're desperate, maybe they can put it on there. Any other network that puts it on there, take it off. Ought to be against the law. It's depressing. It's demoralizing. Well, what does it accomplish for us? Does it tell you anything? I mean, is it uh, you gonna do anything about it? No. No, nothing you can do about it. Retired clubhouse uh, Red Sox clubhouse manager pleads guilty to sex abuse. In Bartow. Oh, that's, have uh, you ever been to Bartow? You've been through there, I <laughs> bet. Yeah, I'm sure. Over by Tampa? Yep. Man, what a place that is. I'll tell you one thing, though. You know, they got us beat in many things on the west coast of Florida. Not so only have. they got Crystal, and not only they have like Hardee's, and they had the Steak and Shake long before we ever got them, but they got Airby. I mean, there are strips of roads, man, over there, where there's Airby fast food joint that was ever invented. Now, what the hell is that Route 60 that goes across to Tampa? I believe it is. I forget. Come on, get with it. Well, yeah, you, you got to get out of the house a little bit more instead of just going to North Carolina. you got to go over to Lutz and... No. And, uh, huh? What's In that other Tampa? one right by Lutz? Dunedin? Where all the yahoos are, right next to it. Well, anyway, it'll come to me. Possum Springs? Nah, not that. It's right by Lutz there, where all the goddamn... Uh, where they tend to wear those funny pointed hats. Anyway, a retired Boston Red Sox spring training clubhouse manager pleaded guilty yesterday, today, to molesting young boys who worked at the team's complex. And by the way, thanks, extra thanks today to all our faxers out there in Radio Land who are really faxing a lot of heavy-duty stuff that our vast staff here <laughs> on the Neil Rogers Show uh, doesn't have the resources or time to be able to find. I mean, during the show, you know what I'm saying? See, that's another thing about Greg Reed. He ought to be on his hands and knees, kissing all of our asses. Me and George and Miguel and, uh, and Joe and anybody else associated with the show ought to be licking our cheeks. When you stop and think of the magic that we weave and make with with nothing, with zero. Do we have a news wire? No. See, I'm not going to go back through that whole thing about how we had to, that we had to, you know, get other people to provide us with a TV set and I had to buy my own computer. All of those things. You ought to get down on your hands and knees and kiss our kneecaps instead of this uh, baby crap, okay? Is the What was it? What's the line again? The truce. I got news for you, man. The truce is in force on this side. I'm still doing the Neil Rogers show, okay, from here on in, next four and a half years. That's what I do. I do the Neil Rogers show. It's a radio show. Anybody that cannot bring themselves to understand that, I feel real sorry for them. Not. Tough titty, okay? It's the Neil Rogers show, and I will continue doing the Neil Rogers show, period. I have no, you know, personal problem with anybody who works there, except of course for, um that thing. What thing? Uh, we already mentioned its name once oh, oh. before today. That. That. That thing out front. What passes as a receptionist. But other than that, I got no problem. And then of course Maddie Bell and Suzanne. Sh- I mean, Screw Anne. Hey, let's bring Suzanne Sh- back, huh? For what? Donald James Patrick agreed to reduce charges of attempted sexual battery on a child under 12 will pay four victims $10,000 each in restitution. The 73-year-old Fitzpatrick was sentenced to 15 years probation and a 10-year suspended a prison sentence in Polk County Circuit Court in Bartow. The plea agreement was accepted by Circuit Judge Judith Flanders over the objections of one victim. Thirteen men have told investigators they were molested or subjected to sexual harassment from Fitzpatrick, who hired them as far back as the 1970s to work at the club's former spring, uh, spring uh, tra- training It says here springing training camp in Winterhaven. They're more carried away than I am. Some of the men also alleged in civil lawsuit that the Red Sox knew of the abuse and did nothing about it. The team has denied any wrongdoing. Of course, the civil case is not affected by today's pleas. The plea agreement with Fitzpatrick, who's ill from kidney disease and other ailments, covers the four youngest victims. The victims are all now men, ranging from their teens to their 30s, including two who are still minors. The allegations were not brought to prosecutors' attention till last year. Fitzpatrick will return to his home in Randolph, Mass. Will be under the supervision of a probation officer and forbidden from having any contact with children. If he violates probation, he could be returned to Florida to serve a prison sentence and possibly be incarcerated indefinitely as a sexual predator. Oh! That's the news from Barto, ladies and gentlemen. Temple Terrace, that's a place I was trying to think of. Oh. Lutz and good old Temple Terrace. You ever been in Temple Terrace? I don't think so.
4: Good. Or Lutz. Regardless. They don't like
3: your kind there, and they definitely don't like my kind. Believe me, which covers a lot of territory. Drive real fast if you ever find yourself in Temple Terrace. Or Lutes. A family friend told a grand jury, Kennedy cousin Michael Skakel, once admitted he might have killed Martha Moxley in a drunken stupor. It was revealed yesterday, says today's New York Daily News. Mildred Sissy Ix. I love that name. I X. You ever hear of a name like that? Never. Now, if she was kind of like Stevie Nicks, would it be Ix Nicks? Mildred Mm -hmm. Sissy Ix told a grand jury that Skakel's father, Rushton Skakel, confided Michael Skakel's admission to her in 1981, six years after the murder. I had a lot to drink that night. I would like to see if I could have had so much to drink that I would have forgotten something, and I could have murdered Martha, Ix told a grand jury in 1998, recounting how the elder Skakel quoted his son. Ix, a longtime Skakel family friend, also told the grand jury that Rushton Skakel said his son wanted to take a sodium pentothal or truth serum test. But when asked about the conversation yesterday, Ix stunned the courtroom by recanting her 1998 grand jury testimony. Instead, she now says Rushton Skakel only told her his son wanted to take the truth serum. She said the statement about his drinking and possibly killing Moxley were her thoughts. I never knew. Uh, I know that Rush never ever heard from Michael that he killed anyone. Ix said I put in Rushden in Skakel's mouth what I actually thought. She put it in his mouth. Skakel's lawyer Mickey Sherman tried to keep the jury from hearing about Ix's grand jury testimony, calling it hearsay. Prosecutor Suzanne Gill countered, "It's hard to imagine that a father would report such a thing if it weren't true." Judge John Kavanowski let jurors hear because they could deem it as trustworthy and reliable. They could take it with a grain of salt or not, as the case may be. How do you like that? Here's one you'll love. Woodbridge, New Jersey, three firefighters are under investigation for allegedly throwing a late-night firehouse party in which they let members of a punk band don their gear and ride around town in their vehicles with lights blazing and (laughs) sirens wailing. (laughs) I like it. Don't you love that? What a nice uh, fire department. Those firefighters, man, that's the kind of sense of humor you develop when you're sliding up and down them grease poles all the time, usually naked. Chief Stephen and his brother David, and Kenneth Hilarchik were all suspended indefinitely while the investigation be continuing, said Joseph Greco, an attorney for the Board of Commissioners for Island Fire District 11. No other firefighters were expected to face disciplinary action. Officials learned about the alleged May 3rd party after pictures and narratives were posted on the band's website. According to the site, the four-man band called Lit, L-I-T, met several firefighters by chance at a local restaurant and later went with them to the firehouse. The site also said that the band performed an all-request show for the firefighters that night and put them on a guest list for their concert. The pictures and narratives were temporarily removed from the site this week. At the firefighters' request, a band spokesman said Tuesday. Litz publicist Ken Phillips said the band had no official comment on the matter. Stephen Mellett said the event was being blown out of proportion. There wasn't anything done at the fire department that was illegal, Mellett said. There wasn't anything done that should be any major ramification about. How do you like that? but I do like that first paragraph which bears reading again. Three firefighters in Woodsbridge, New Jersey, are under investigation for allegedly throwing a late-night firehouse party at which they let members of a punk band don their gear and ride around town their vehicles with lights blazing and sirens wailing.
4: All right. They let them don their gay apparel? They don their gay apparel and then proceed to
3: slide up and down them greasy poles. Twelve minutes past noon at 560, WQM. How would you like to have a big one, huh? Like maybe at the firehouse. We're talking about a big, fat, impressive, juicy paycheck. FastTrain can help you achieve one. That's right, because if you check out with FastTrain, you can achieve a brand-new career and start making some big bucks in as short a time as four months. You can double the size of yours, your paycheck, by becoming a computer professional, and you can accomplish all of these things before the summer is even over. Fastrain offers Microsoft-certified instructors, no payments for a full year, job placement assistance, day and evening classes, with four convenient locations all over Dayton, Browd, including the brand right new campus in Kendall. You've got no excuses left. Call Fast Train at 866-FAST-TRAIN or check them out on their website at FastTrain.com because now, honestly and truly, they can have you ready with a brand-new money-making career and as little as four months. Nobody should ever have to settle for a small one, even if nature gave it to them. So pick up the phone and call Fast Train two-day, toll-free at 1-866-FAST-TRAIN. That's 866-FAST-TRAIN. And don't forget, all Fast Train locations are licensed by the State Commission.
0: Party on Sports
2: Radio 560 QAM WQAM Go f yourself Roll another blunt Yeah la 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 I was gonna go to class before I got high. Come on, y'all. Check it out. Ooh, uh, ooh. I could have cheated and I could have passed, but I got high. Uh, uh Lotta, I'm taking it next semester, and, and I know why. Why, Because yeah, hey, I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. Go to the next, go to the next, go to the next. Uh, I was gonna go to court yeah. before I got high. <laughs> Uh, I was gonna pay my child support, but then I got high No, you wasn't uh, yeah. They took my home paycheck, <laughs> and I know why Why, why man? Pay, cause I got high Because I got high, because I got high <laughs> I wasn't gonna run from the cops, but, <laughs> but I was high uh, I'm serious, man Ooh. I was gonna pull right over and stop, but, but I was high <laughs> oh, La, da, 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 now nah, I'm a paraplegic wow. chicken. I know why. <laughs> why, man? Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. La, da, 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 I man. was gonna make love to you. I'm serious. serious. Mm. I was gonna mm. eat your pussy too. Now I'm jacking off oh. And
6: I know
2: why. Turn this shit up. Because I got high. Hey, do that over, because man. Because I on, got go. high. Now, come on, man. Don't, now, go, come, go, on, come on. Go, go, I messed go, up my entire go, life. Go, because I got high. Go, uh, go, 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 I lost go, my kids go, and wife. Go, because go, I got go, high. Say what, say what, say what, say what. Now outside. I'm sleeping on the sidewalk. And I know why. Why, man? Yeah, because, I because I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. La, la, la. I'm singing this song because I'm high. I'm singing this whole thing wrong. Because I'm high. Bring it Bring it back And if I don't sell one copy, I'll know why. Yeah. Cause I'm high. Cause I'm high. Cause I'm high. Cause I'm high.
3: Pump hunting at 5.60. WQM. We got Joe Ross for the Mad Dog at 1.0. You got your ball game at uh, 2.30 pregame game time at 3.05. Joe Zagaki at 6. Oh, and then the big oh! at 10. Proving that life isn't always perfect. Joe and Mark the Dirty Boys overnight. will be at Gatsby's and Boca tonight, 7 to 9. Giving away a bunch of crap and also something good. You can register to win a trip to Lake Tahoe. And the Beck's Models will be there with specials on Beck's beer. Gatsby's is in Boca off Boulevard on 18th Street between Military and Powerline. 370 votes on our poll, the best TV show of all time. And most interesting, let's look at it from the bottom now. You see that there are three that all have right. no votes ER, Baywatch, and Barney. Baywatch has got no votes. Oh my God. Oh my God. Wow. Man, what bad memories these. Well, probably they're thinking of David Hasselhoff since you mentioned
4: him yesterday. And Pam Anderson. In other words, you didn't think she looked good on that show? No. Plastic, overstuffed, peroxide reeking, long ass nails look like a hooch. Well, I'll tell you one thing. She was no uh, Natalie Portman. I'll tell you that. Damn straight. That's a lady. <laughs> a classic oh, lady.
3: Oh, God. The less I say, the better off it'll be, okay?
4: Anti-Semite. And, and
3: like I said before, whatever his name Hans Christian Andersen, or whatever the hell his name is, uh, Hayden Aiden. Christensen, he's a lot prettier than she is. And also of legal age. Barney Miller doesn't have one vote. St. Elsewhere and Kojak. Here's the ones that I can't even do all the ones that have one. Dick Van Dyke Show. Oprah Winfrey. Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Rowan and Martin's Laughing. Larry Sanders Show. Frazier. Price is Right. Carol Burnett Show. Leave it in Beaver. Kojak and St. Elsewhere. Each of them have just one. Boy. So really, basically, in double digits, all you've got is like two, four. Seven, we've got almost 400 votes. Two, four, six, seven. Sopranos, 11. Star Trek Next Generation, 14. Todd Drek. Monty Python, by the way, you seen him lately?
4: Yes. He poked his oh. head in the door uh, just a little while ago, like an hour or so. What the hell did he want? I have no See, idea. See, there's my
3: psychic powers again. What did he want? No idea. didn't talk to me. He was just what did he want, Miguel? Just saying, what's up? Yeah, what's up? What's up? Anyway, not this, I'm just going to bite my tongue because he just infuriates me. At least the other people, we got some real boneheads there in the sales department. At least the other people try. You know what I'm saying? They'll make an effort. They'll, they'll, they'll make a little bit of a half-assed effort. But here is a man who refuses absolutely to service his accounts. I get copy from this guy about once every seven years. Then the audience hears me struggling, desperately trying to make something new and exciting and different. of like the same uh, Schmidt that this guy handed me like seven months ago, ten years ago, seven weeks ago. Uh, by the way, Happy Shavuos. Did you know Shavuos starts tonight?
4: No, I did not. Let's hear it. Oh, Good happy hear. Shavuos. Happy Shavuos.
3: <laughs> and while we're at it, why the hell not a little bonus? Happy poor. Sure, why the hell not? So anyway, uh, All in the Family, 61, Simpsons, 55, MASH, 37, Seinfeld, 36. There's a battle. Monty Python, 15, Star Trek, 14, Sopranos, 11. Those are the only ones even in double digits. Moving right along to show you, like I said before, America continuing striving desperately to find all the mediocrity it can. Sonny Bono, how's he doing? Seen him lately? I guess not. (laughs) No. But then his wife picked up right where he left off, that bitch. Now was the boss born to run for U.S. Senate? Have you heard about this? No. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. Bruce. I wish I only. I only wish that I was kidding. S- some in New Jersey put out the call for Senator Spring, uh, Springsteen. In other words, the idea of he sure as hell can't sing, but maybe he can like uh, run uh, the office. Maybe he can like uh, stir the political pot. Trenton, New Jersey. But in fact, if you want to, oh, you ever smell Trenton, New Jersey? No, thank goodness. <laughs> On the, day, on the day of your worst diarrhea that you've ever had in your life, on the day of the worst in intestinal problems you've ever had, nothing ever smelled like Trenton, New Jersey, except maybe Newark. A group of New Jersey political activists fed up with the usual crop of political candidates announced a plan this Tuesday to draft rock star Bruce Springsteen to run for the U.S. Senate as a true representative of the state. <laughs> I think he's perfect for Jersey. He sucks, just like that state. With guidance from Doug Friedline, a former 98 campaign aide to heavyweight wrestler turned Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura, the group called Independence for New Jersey launched a signature drive to put Springsteen on a general election ballot. They need only 800 signatures, but there's a big problem. Nobody's talked to the boss about the idea. The boss. Friedline was not discouraged. It took us seven months to get Jesse Ventura to run. He said, If Bruce String, a uh, string spree, uh, spleen, threw his hat in the ring and made a real serious run at this, I think you'd see thousands of volunteers coming out from all over the place. Yeah, he sure inspires me. Political analysts said the announcement was less a grassroots, groundswell of support for Springsteen as native son that was an attempt by Ventura supporters to set up a third party in New Jersey. The state Senate race currently features Democrat uh, Robert Torricelli and three Republican candidates, multimillionaire businessman Doug Forrester and state senators Diane Allen and John Matheson, who all face each other in the June 4 primary. Springsteen, known as the boss among rock fans and known as somebody who couldn't sing as well out of a paper sack among those who've got any taste in music, would offer a number of advantages as a political candidate, including name recognition and popularity among young voters. Right. Springsteen, whose songs often celebrate the blue-collar spirit of his youth in Freehold, New Jersey, home of one of the most crooked racetracks in the history of mankind, now lives in the upscale community of Rumson near the northern end of the Jersey Shore. The committee tried to reach him long ago as December, but so far they've heard nothing. Ever been to Freehold Raceway? Of course not. I haven't either, as a matter of fact. That's one of the few harness tracks in America that I've never been to, and I'm really glad. Maybe that's why I still have a few bucks. Freehold Raceway. How's survey Philion doing, huh? Oh! Call up Jackie Lee. Maybe he'll tell us. 26 past noon at 560 WQA. When you shop for quality footwear, selection and professional service are always mighty important. But, by the way, speaking of footwear, did you pass along that information I told you yesterday? No, I couldn't find him. I'll find him today. Okay, thank you. Don't worry. Like I said, when you shop for quality footwear, selection and professional service are mighty important, but the bottom line is price, dollars and cents. At Brandy Shoes, you'll always find the biggest selection of men's and women's shoes anywhere in town, the best service in South Florida, and the best prices, period. Top quality names we're talking about, like Rockports, SAS, Sperry's, Timberland, Naturalizer, and lots more. With their humongous, amazing selection in this mega store, you're probably never going to hear anybody say to you, sorry, mister or ma'am, we don't have that style in your size, because they've got a humongous selection. Deep. It's really deep. Find out why most of Brandy's customers don't only really keep coming back, but usually stock up on several pair on each visit. Brandy's is open every day, 9 to 9, Sundays 10 to 5, and you'll be finding them in the same great location they've been for a coon's age. You'll find Brandy's shoes at 1290 North Federal Highway in Pompano Beach. And don't forget, all this week, $10 off on all women's naturalizer shoes.
0: Davidson. Ed Kaplan's Game Nights, weeknights at 10 on Sports Radio 560. Uh, uh, Q-A-M. Neil Rogers. Huh? First you
1: pull your pants down around your knees. Pull back from your desk and spread apart your feet. Firmly wrap your hands all around your knees Then pull up and down, pull up and down, and jerk that knee. Keep the keyboard covered so it won't splat. And the cloth, and handy to wipe it off your lap. Now you could be you just like the cheese. Head of Homeland Security. Wrap down firmly to secure airports. All the borders and the shipping ports, of course. Before you get around to it, pull down your shores. And pull up and down, pull up and down, and jerk the board. Get yourself a nice set of blow pens. Pass the time, doodling at your desk, now you're in charge,
6: just like the chief, head of Homeland Security, right. pull your pants down and feature
3: your feet. 12.31 at 5.60 WQAM, 63 for all in the family, Simpsons 55, it's still pretty close, it's tight, speaking of tight. Players, baseball strike inevitable, says the AP. What a joke. Haven't I been trying to tell people this, but they don't want to listen to me because they got nothing else to talk about? Haven't I been trying Uh for weeks to tell people this? With no labor agreement in sight, some baseball players think it is inevitable that the union will set a strike date for August. And you know what everybody in the free world is going to say to baseball when they do that? Bye, bye, bye. You got it. Bye, 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 even those uh, who haven't done it already and some of those who are on the borderline. That's really the only thing we can do, pitcher Mike Stanton, the Yankees player representative, said today or yesterday. It's not a situation where we have a lot of options. Right. Union officials told players' agents at a meeting in New York on Tuesday that the staff is considering if and when to set a strike date, two agents said yesterday, speaking, of course, on the condition of anonymity. Union head Donald Fear, who says the only thing we have to fear is him, who told players during spring training to prepare for missing their last two or three paychecks, is to hold a similar meeting with West Coast agents in Los Angeles today. For now, the union is trying to play down the possibility of a work stoppage, which would be baseball's ninth since 1972. The executive board has not yet considered whether to set a strike date, Fear said. We hope not to have to do so. The consideration of a strike date, first reported yesterday by the New York Times, is of little surprise. Players are unhappy that owners, in an effort to slow payroll growth, have proposed a 50% luxury tax on the portions of payrolls above $98 million. Management also angered players by asking to increase the percentage of locally generated revenue that teams must share from 20 to 50 percent after a deduction for ballpark expenses. Owners have promised that though the, uh, through the World Series they will not attempt to declare an impasse in talks and implement their proposals. The union fears management will do so immediately after the postseason in an effort to slow salaries for 2003. For them to rattle their strike, day, uh, strike date cage is frankly disappointing and in my view un, uh, un, uh, counterproductive," said Bob Dupuy, baseball's chief operating officer. We didn't put proposals on the table that were designed to provoke a work stoppage. There's no salary cap. There's no rebate or excise tax like the other leagues have. We put proposals on the table that were designed to allow bargaining to an agreement. So it's disappointing when the other side decides to threaten a work stoppage, which is certainly not their only option. In the view of management, Commissioner Bud Selig has already made a concession by saying owners wouldn't lock out players or implement its proposals during the season. The union views that pledge as meaning little since 2002 salaries already have been determined when Selig made that pledge March 26th. We bargained last time for the ability to affect 2002, and we chose not to exercise our bargaining rights. Our leverage, Dupuis said. We're going to continue to lose enormous sums. Owners claimed $232 million in operating losses last year on revenue of $3.5 billion. Players are suspicious, but they haven't challenged the figures that bargaining sessions management lawyers say. In 1993, the last season before the 232-day strike that wiped out the World Series for the first time in 90 years, baseball revenue was $1.87 billion. The average salary has doubled from $1.17 million at the time of the strike to $2.38 million this season. How do you like that? Every year, the owners cry poverty and look at the industry, and it's almost doubled financially. Cleveland Indians player rep Charles Nagy said, talks for an agreement to replace the one that expired November 7th begin in January, but the sides have had only sporadic meetings. What's frustrating is we've had this whole year, and we can't sit down at the table and come up with remedies, said Texas Rangers' Alex Rodriguez, <laughs> who's only making $25 million a year. Unfortunately, a work stoppage or some sort of strike is the thing that's going to make us come together and unite and come up with remedies. Oh, God. Don't you feel sorry for all of these people? No. I do. I'm weeping. Here's a punk that's making $25 million for playing baseball and putting a jock strap on and patting his buddies on the uh, butt in the, uh, the shower after the game. And he's, he's talking about labor negotiations. Most of these guys should kiss the goddamn ground that they're making anything. CBS News poll has found that confidence in the Catholic church leaders as a result of their handling of church sex abuse scandals has uh, fallen. Isn't that a surprise to you? I'm shocked. And most believe that Cardinal Bernard Law, Archbishop of Boston, should step down from office. Absolutely correct. Even as depositions began in a civil case against the Boston Archdiocese for its handling of charges of sexual abuse of minors by a priest, the public's opinion of the Catholic Church of the way Catholic Church leaders have handled charges of sex abuse by a priest has continued to decline. Now only one in about ten Americans and just fourteen percent of Catholics think church leaders have done a good job. Two weeks ago, positive assessments while low were about twice as high. The number of Americans who think US leaders of the Catholic Church are doing a poor job is now eighty three percent compared to 61% who thought that about two weeks ago. Catholics are becoming increasingly critical of their church leaders as well, nearly 8 in 10, which sounds like 80% to me. Think church leaders have done a poor job handling the charges of sexual abuse by priests. This number is up from 62% who felt that way just two weeks ago. Are you following the changes in these numbers? I sure am. I'm charting them. Yeah. Two weeks ago, poor job, well, I mean, why we'll even go through them again, okay? It's, it's, it's like a gigantic snowball, and it's going down a huge snowbank, man, and it's growing like topsy. Seven, uh, let's see, some of that drop in evaluation of church leaders may be due to the almost universal negative assessment of Cardinal Bernard Law and his deposition in the Massachusetts civil case. Cardinal Law, Archbishop of Boston, began his deposition last week in a civil case against the Archdiocese about their response to charges of sex abuse by a priest. of Americans do not believe Cardinal Law is telling everything he knows about the situations involving a priest in his diocese sexually abusing children and teenagers. Only 5% say he's telling all he knows. Most Catholics also think the Cardinal is not telling what he knows. 75% of Catholics. And they asked should Cardinal Law resign? Of all respondents, 64% said yes, 19% said no. And of Catholics, again, 64% said yes, but 24% said no. But 64% of everybody said yeah. When in doubt, kick him out. And it should be a lot higher than that, by the way. Come on. Yes. But you've know, you got a lot of brainwashed people out there because somebody puts on a smock or a frock or anything. You know, just like a fire tuck. Look at him. Newcomer poised to become Dutch Prime Minister. This is uh, poor Hans. I hope Hans isn't listening today. A political newcomer was poised to become prime minister after a dramatic shift to the right in elections yesterday that swamped the governing socialist after eight years at the helm in Netherlands, Holland. The outcome was a severe defeat for prime minister Wim Koch's liberal coalition that brought the Dutch steady growth since 1994, but was punished for ignoring public concerns about drugs, immigration, welfare abuse, and lax law enforcement. In the swing to the right, the upstart party of slain anti-immigration populist Pim Fortune, Pim Fortune's list, swept into the legislature with 26 seats. A few months ago, the group didn't even exist. With 88.6% of the vote counted, Jan-Peter Balkanenda's Christian Democrats won 43 seats, a gain of 15 in the 150-member parliament. Balkanenda, a 46-year-old Christian philosophy professor who took over the party just eight months ago, declared he was ready to take on the responsibility of forming a government. Citizens want a different kind of politics, he be saying. Koch's governing socialists were seen plunging from 45 to 23 seats, and his liberal allies from 38 also to 23, according to the results. Fortune, who was killed May 6th by a single gunman, brought these issues to the forefront, tapping into a groundswell of discontent with Holland's ruling politicians and their tolerant policies. Fortune was killed after doing a campaign radio interview. He was 54. His murder shocked this country of 16 million that is a stranger to political violence and has long prided itself on no-ripple consensus politics. Or is that no nipple? The results proved Fortunes Party rather I should say approved whatever, and their uh, allies could marshal a comfortable parliamentary majority for a right-wing government. At the outset of the voting, Koch told uh, his voters that his eight years at the helm brought them formidable growth and prosperity. He said the elections are about my legacy. Well, evidently they didn't like his legacy, and he's uh, small potatoes now. How do you like that, huh? It's so the way it goes. They don't like them foreigners. I think that's what it boils down to, George. Don't take it personally, but oh, I don't. They don't like foreigners, like you. I mean, Miguel, he was born in Chicago. I just mentioned these things in passing. 21 before 1 at 560 WQM. Joe Rose will be along at 1 o'clock. If you're tired of hassles with your cell service, if you're tired of that $50 a month plan that you thought you purchased and then winding up costing you hundreds of dollars a month instead of 50, then get on the team with Team Tech At Tech Communications, your authorized Nextel representative. For over 25 years, Tech has been providing South Florida with the best service and they take the hassle away from dealing with the cellular company, not to mention the expense. Right now, Nextel's Shared Rewards Plan allows you to share 4,000 monthly minutes with free incoming calls for only $54.99. Celltech's got a great selection of other plans, too, no matter what your budget, with most including free incoming calls, nationwide long-distance, free caller ID, free voicemail, and Nextel's unique direct connect two-way radio feature, too. So whether it's one or a thousand phones or resilient, take it from me and our very own starting quarterback, Jay Fiedler, the spokesman, Celltech Communications, your authorized Nextel representative, is the only smart way to go. Call 1 800 celtech 2 today and get connected. That's 1 800 CELTEC and the number 2. CELTEC Communications keeping us.
0: Lauderdale. The Joe and Mark Show. Overnights on Sports Radio 560. QAM.
5: I like the wee wee. Would you dance? If I asked you to dance
2: Okay Just for
8: fun Would you
5: hop on my
8: back Wreck them Darling, please Make me feel fine
1: Would you invade my whole night
6: Would you tremble If I touched your lips Would you laugh If I Humped your hips Now i Just die And do the thing I love By invading My hole Tonight It looks
5: just like a
1: Oh,
5: baby. Oh. I know I might expect some pain. It will be easier on you, baby. If you could find the K&Y. If
1: we die. Would you unbuckle my pants? Yes. Would you cry if I held my pot high?
8: Oh, darling, please make me feel fine and just
5: invade my hole tonight. Oh, please invade. My whole... Rectum. Tonight.
3: Yeah, here's something else, then Enrique, I'll tell you that. 12.45 at 560 WQM. Speaking of the mob, might as well stay on these stories, right? Always got some good mob stories for you every day. We love the mob stories. Mob enforcers says FBI agent warned mobsters of pending indictments. What would I tell you about the FBI, huh? It's enough to make you scream, enough to make you want to crap your pants. And that's your tax money, by the way. Our tax dollars, hard at work again, supporting the FBI. A confessed mob enforcer testified yesterday that a former FBI agent, through him, tipped three alleged gangsters that indictments against them were imminent, prompting two of them to flee. Kevin Weeks. Yeah, I thought he was a goalie for Carolina. Oh, speaking of Carolina, I forgot about that game tonight. I keep trying to put it off. I keep trying to pretend that like that game against Ottawa the other night, that was the end of it. Should have been. That's it. We're happy. We're ecstatic. We won. That's it. Enough already. Kevin Weeks, not the uh, dark-complexioned goaltender for Carolina, along with Arthur Zerbe, Kevin Weeks testified in the federal racketeering trial of retired FBI agent John Connolly Jr. that Connolly visited him at the South Boston liquor store where he was wor- where he worked to pass on the warning. Connolly was the FBI handler for mob informants James Whitey Bulger and Stephen the Rifleman Flemmy. He's pleaded innocent to racketeering, obstruction of justice, and conspiracy charges. Weeks said on December 23, 1994, that he and Connolly spoke in the liquor store's walk-in cooler, which they knew could not be easily bugged, and Connolly said indictments for Bulger, Flemmy, and Mafia boss Frank P. Cadillac Frank Salemi were being prepared over the Christmas holiday. Weeks, the self-described right-hand man of Bulger, testified that he contacted Bulger immediately, and Bulger promptly fled. Bulger's been on the run ever since and is on the FBI's most wanted list. Week said he called Fleming, but Fleming didn't believe him because he said his source within the state police, Lieutenant Richard Chideran, hadn't said anything.
5: <laughs>
3: he was insistent that his guy was on top of it. Weeks said, "Doesn't this sound like uh, that scene from The Godfather? You know, like we have people, uh, newspaper people, on the payroll? Yeah, don't.
4: Yeah, they'd like a story like that.
3: Yeah, they just might." Fleming was arrested January 5, 1995. Last year, Fleming struck a deal with federal prosecutors to settle three charges against him and is awaiting trial for his alleged role in ten murders. Schneider, uh, what is his name, who was pleaded innocent is awaiting trial on corruption charges. Salemi, or is that the Salani? See, you have got all hockey names Salami. in here. Salami. Oh, and by the way, that's right. I forgot about him. By the way, Colorado won one-nothing last night. What a shame. Peter Forsberg. And see, there's the lease in, in reverse. Police get everybody injured and they still win and Colorado gets Forsberg back and that's the only reason they win. Without him they'd have been long gone. Patrick Frog and all. Salemi so fled but was captured in Florida in August of 95 and is serving an 11 year prison sentence after pleading guilty to various charges including bribery and extortion. Connolly, 61, is accused of taking bribes and tipping Bulger and Flemy about the indictments. He's also accused of giving the pair information about other FBI informants who were later killed. Hmm. Connolly denies any wrongdoing. He said he was just doing his job. Didn't know the extent of the gangster's crimes. Weeks said he was testifying under a plea deal in which prosecutors have agreed to recommend a sentence of between t- five and 15 years in prison. On Tuesday, and we already had this. On Tuesday, Weeks testified about his role in the slaying of Brian Halloran. Prosecutors say Halloran was killed after Connolly told Berger and Fleming that Halloran had implicated them in the murder of businessman Robert Roger Wheeler. Bulger and Flemy were the leaders of Winterhill Gang, an Irish crime syndicate that ran gambling, loan sharking, and other rackets in the Boston area. Oh! Well, I tell you, that Boston area sure got some problems, you know what? As much as a beautiful city it is with a lot of living and breathing people and institutions of higher learning and lower learning, all of these things, pretty crappy radio, though. But nevertheless, in spite of all of those things, they got a lot of problems. Child-abusing priests, crooked archbishops. Mafiosi running wild. A lot of good Italian restaurants, on in the North End. Can't believe you've never been in Boston. Sorry. One day. Yeah, let's take up a fund, okay? We're gonna send Joe to, um, Chicago. I think that's where it was gonna be. And George to Boston. Alright. And we're gonna send Miguel to, um, Cardenas. <laughs> to visit Aileon. Don't you think that would be, that would be just a beautiful thing? Can you imagine yeah, I'll the vibe that would go food. on?
4: We'll have to pack huh? him a big, big suitcase full of food.
3: Yeah, to make sure that Alien gets his happy meal every day. He can pack up a whole bunch of that. Anyway, that's what I'm trying to. The message I try to sell all you people out there is: get on a plane or on a bus or on a train and go somewhere. Okay, get out of that godforsaken place. Go somewhere. Find out what real life is all about. Because trust me when I tell you, paradise or not, that ain't it. I wonder how how much longer he's going to be saying that. You know, my good close personal friend, the Mo, Mo- Meister. I know, he's, uh, you know, he's trying to like uh, blue sky and all of that. But boy, wait till it gets to be like about the uh, second week in August when it's been 120 degrees in the shade every day for like two and a half, three months. Hey, speaking of that, speaking of schwitzing your brains out, how about cooling off with some great champion light? Sounds good oh. to me, that's right. Because man, the other sports drinks out there don't even come close. They don't hold a candle to champion light because they're full of crap. Champion light's got nothing in there but good stuff, like all the electrolytes you need after a workout. All the other sports drinks, whether it's Gatorade, all the others, forget about them. They're passe because they're loaded with sugar and therefore with calories and carbohydrates and all kinds of crap. Some of them even have stuff that will make you sit on it and be a squatter all day. Not Champion Light. It's got no carbs, no caffeine, no calories, no sugar, no nothing but great taste. In fact, now it's available in six different delicious flavors. And believe me, if you tried it like a few months ago, you're going to like it even better now because the flavors are all like juiced up. Like the Mad Dog, they're juiced up right now you got orange, lemon, lime, grape, fruit punch, and the new flavors, lemonade and blue raspberry. And, man, they are delicious. In fact, when I get back from vacation, I expect there to be cases and cases. I expect there to be a Schmidt load of Champion Light waiting for me. Don't you think? I sure hope so. Anyway, don't forget, you can sample the all-new Champion Light flavors this Saturday for free, and you can join Dolphins quarterback Jay Field. In fact, walk up from behind with Jay and just, like, you know, do the thing with his ears, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Flick them? Yeah, just, no, not flick them. Like, wiggle his ears a little bit. See if you get a reaction. Anyway, join Jay Fiedler, the Dolphin quarterback and spokesman for Champion Light, at the new Walmart this Saturday, 3801 Turtle Creek Drive in Coral Springs, 1030 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon, and he'll let you have a try of it, and Champion Light as well. Or if you want to find the store nearest you that carries it, if you actually want to spend some money and buy it, which is a damn smart idea, check out Champion Light. This Friday, live from Baltimore, on
0: Sports Radio 560,
3: QAM. He's got a big
4: heart on
1: A rabbit in a dress You're a gaudy, naughty, towel towelhead Bush is your buddy Which one you like best Now that you can call the shots here in the U.S. Do you have the chance to break a hundred? How far does Georgie's tongue go up your bar? Never mind the tether that you funded Say twelve fifty seven
3: at five sixty WQAM. Governor Jeb Bush, this is in the category of better late than never. Governor Jeb Bush signed a bill yesterday making it a felony for state workers to falsify records, even punishable by more severe punishments than throwing a spitball in class. The measure passed last week in a special legislative session comes in the wake of accusations that a child welfare caseworker falsely claimed to be keeping up with that little girl who vanished in Miami. This is from the Herald, by the way. It says, the girl, five-year-old Rilia Wilson, who was missing for 15 months and nobody noticed, is she not missing anymore? No, she's still missing. I know that. But why does it say that? Anyway, I see. Now they noticed. I guess that's what it is. Okay. The Department of Children and Families believed the caretaker had custody of the girl, but the caretaker, Geraldine Graham, with her 85 different identities, claimed someone who identified herself as a DCF worker picked her up 60 months ago for an evaluation. DCF reported Rillia missing April 25. We must ensure that what happened to Rillia never happens again to any child, Bush said. And look at at his kids, man. If they can all grow up like them, then we'll be okay. The department says caseworker Deborah Muskelly fired false reports of monthly visits with the child while her supervisor, Willie Harris, failed to review the case. Both res- uh, resigned in my-